Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sybil. And I'm David. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're beginning our self-help series with a Jim Carrey movie based on a British memoir. We'll talk about self-help books, seminars, and programs, and whether they're a part of our lives. And we'll talk about the benefits and risks of saying yes to life as we discuss the 2008 hit comedy, Yes Man. Hello. Hello, David. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. I'm really glad um, to have you back on the program, David. Really enjoyed discussing Once Bitten with you. I think it was episode 48. Mm -hmm. And now now you're like my go-to Jim Carrey guy, so... I mean that's a, that's a good person to uh to to be a recurring guest for so you know yeah. that sounds like fun. And I'm super excited to start our self-help series because we're in 2023, it's a new year, and at the beginning of every new year I do new year's resolutions. I will tend to look at self-help books and I'm always trying to like improve my life in some way. And there's been a variety of self-help books that have been meaningful to me, like From the Artist's Way by Julia Cameron to um, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. But I wanted to know, are self-help books something that's important in your lives? Is there a way that they've helped you? Um, I don't think I've ever read a self-help book. So I just want to dig a little deeper on that, Sybil, just to make sure. So like for me, self-help books are like this really broad category and they can be like anything from like a spiritual book or like um, improving your creativity, ways to make your brain work better, health books, like all mm. kinds of things are in that category. Okay. So like, you know, yeah. So when I put it that way, is that like, do you still think you haven't read? Like, anything I, you know what, then in that case, I have read a couple self-help things because like, I guess anything within self-help is like things that are actually just, you're learning more and getting help doing something. So I mean, YouTube videos, I guess, could be self-help. Oh, yeah. I think there's a huge category of YouTube videos that are basically just self-help videos. Yeah. And probably TikTok too, but I'm not on TikTok. So oh, TikTok is the land of self-help. You're right. I've learned how to, I will never change how I make macaroni and cheese now because I've learned the <laughs> TikTok way. Well, if, if we're including YouTube and TikTok, can we include life hacker articles? Because oh, I guess yeah, that would yeah. be like my only like foray into self-help for me. Yeah, my my theory about life hacker is it's like a way of making self help sound cool, like for people for whom the term self help seems stigmatizing. It, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because there's always cool. So, because you know. <laughs> there's always that joke about the people in the self help section of crying or something. I've seen that in like several TV shows or movies, right? Like that self help people are just like sad, like like mm. to overly emotional people, like that the, they're losers or whatever. But like, I don't think I don't think of self help that way. But some people do. So I think life hacker, like improving your life. You know what I mean? It's the same yeah. thing, but it, but yeah, it sounds I like, better. I like that you've reframed that for me because I don't think I would have ever thought of any of that as self help. But now I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, the macaroni, I don't know if that counts as self-help. For me, for me, recipes and like making food and like that can like veer into how to a little bit. But still, it's like there are intersections like for diet and health and nutrition and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So can you think of any single like tip that you've learned from these life hackers or like or like kind of expert that you've like looked at that you really like? 
So oh, if we go to if, wait, if we go to TikTok, there's an entire section that starts with so you know with TikTok you live in a land of like little um, sound bits, right? And the sound bit is always like, show me a life hack that has that has changed your life. And that's why I said macaroni because like that's the one like that has changed my life. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's funny because like most of the ones that I'm thinking of, like I'm sure there's others that I'm just not even like remembering exactly but like most of what i am thinking of are food related like okay okay even if it's not a recipe it's just like things you can do to make yeah making it easier so yeah totally that's me too yeah yeah for me like i've definitely delved into like the more like typical like emotional side of self-help like everything from like working on improving relationships like i've read tons of books about like having good relationships or like improving your marriage or whatever and like then, you know, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, which I mentioned, is maybe one of the best books I've ever read for improving relationships because it really helps you avoid getting into destructive arguments and stuff like that. So, I mean, I really recommend that to anybody, like for any type of relationship in their life. And then like stuff like The Ethical Slut, I read that book and it like completely changed my life. Oh, like, yeah, totally. Like, yeah. And that's just that that's self-help Do you think book. that counts as self-help? self-help? Totally, because it's telling you how to navigate a new relationship style. It's telling, it's kind of like showing you like some of the ways, pitfalls you can fall into and how to avoid them. So, a hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, I think like rom coms and self help books. Like, I mean, if people in rom coms read more self help books, they might not have as many problems. <laughs> yeah, then the movies would be uh, there. Wouldn't be any uh, conflict. Yeah, that's true. That would be hard, but <laughs> no, there would be conflict, but it would be it would be reconciled very quickly. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. There'd be fewer misunderstandings for sure. Yeah. And like, yes. And also, you know, like the artist way too, I mentioned before, 100% changed my life. Several times in my life, it caused me to like level up and like, it's just going through these, going through questions and writing things out and following practices from self-help have been very useful to me. So yeah. If there's any readers out there who think, oh, self-help's kind of, it's kind of pathetic or whatever, like, you know, give it a try sometime, I recommend. And hopefully on future episodes, we'll have some more recommendations from other hosts. And and if you can remember the TikTok with the macaroni symbol, you can feel free to submit that for the show notes. Oh, oh I'll send it to you. That's not <laughs> I have it saved. I use it all the time. Very good. So we also today, before we begin our show, I wanted to um, give a shout out to David because he's got a new album that should be out by the time this episode is out called More Content. And like, David, I think this is your sixth album, right? That's right. Yeah. My sixth, like full length, like all original songs, nothing like with uh, soundtracks or any of the, that kind of stuff that I also do. Nice. And like, how long did it take to produce this particular album? So this one's been uh, in the works basically since like the start of the pandemic. Like at that time, you know, I was kind of, you know, locked in my studio, just working on so much music and, you know, we couldn't go out or any of that stuff. And uh, I I made my 2020 album, which was self-titled, just called David Rosen. Um, a lot of these songs were also in the works at that same time. Uh, some of them are newer that were started this year or uh, in 2021 as well. But a lot of them were started during that same set of sessions. And for a while, this album was going to be like kind of like a part two to that album. And then I ended up deciding to kind of give it its own name and go with this kind of tongue in cheek idea of <laughs> right now we're just constantly being bombarded by content. And uh, so why not me do that too? And uh, the album cover for it kind of also nails that point home because it actually features um, 
images, like kind of making up like a Netflix browser wall of yeah. uh, just uh, like it's literally 64 because it's eight by eight uh, films and TV series and, and web series and various uh, kinds of things that I did music for. Uh, so over the over the past 10 years that I've been working on this career of being a musician. And so all of that is just yet more and more content that I've worked on. And uh, <laughs> I, I hate when people call it content, but, uh, you know, it's all for the joke of the album cover. So, David, I'm going to play us a, a clip of a song that you sent along to us, and it's called Touched. And do you want to tell us anything about the song before I play the clip or? I, I guess I could talk about it more after, but I will say that it's like uh, one of the more like kind of mid-tempo tracks on the album. All right. So let's um, we're going to go ahead and we're going to listen to a little bit of that song. it off because i was no, that's really here. good that is really good thank you thank you You're so very much welcome. where can people find this uh so the the album will be available everywhere where you can find music of course on all the streaming platforms spotify apple music all that stuff uh there is a limited edition cd available on my Bandcamp profile davidrosen.bandcamp.com uh and also on my website by davidrosen.com yeah, like I really like this song in particular, I was really grooving to. I feel like it's a very good like start your day song. But like, is there like, um, is there any emotion behind it that like you're trying to capture? Just like, I don't some people don't like to tell about that stuff. But if you did, well, actually, um, I will be talking a lot about each track uh, over on piecing it together. I'm going to be posting a special uh, bonus episode, taking a break from the movies for a second Ooh. and uh, doing like an album length commentary where I talk about all the songs while they play. Uh, so if you're interested in the background of some of the songs, definitely check that out. But as far as this one, um, we've been taking a lot of yoga classes with my wife. And so, uh, you know, I kind of was trying to capture that vibe of like, uh, you know, that kind of almost spiritual type vibe and uh, something that's just super chill. And a lot of the tracks on this album is actually, I would say, my most upbeat album of the six albums. But, yeah. you know, you want to you want to slow it down and have a little bit of variety. And uh, I wanted something that was just like totally a chill out vibe with this one. No, you definitely succeeded. You de I felt peaceful. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah. And you mentioned piecing it together. I don't think we actually said so yet in our introduction, but David is also from the Piecing It Together podcast, which is a movie podcast. We talk with him about that and about his music more in the intro section of our Once Bitten episode. And you can also just like go and listen to David's podcast, Piecing It Together. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah. And so definitely check out David's podcast. And um, is there anywhere else you'd like to send people, David, your social links or anything like that before we get going? You can follow me on uh, Twitter and all those places at Piecing Pod for the podcast and uh, at By David Rosen for the music. That's B-Y David Rosen. And uh, that's where you can find uh, everything that I'm up to. Fantastic. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Plus, I will put links if Sybil gives it to me for the macaroni. So, yeah. <laughs> You'll get it. So before we get started today, a few notes. First, as usual, there will be a spoiler-free section at the beginning of this episode, and we will warn you when the spoilers are about to start. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your podcasts. Okay, and we've got one more note today. This is different. We're going to have our first ever giveaway for this episode. We'll be giving away one used copy of the book Yes Man by Danny Wallace, the book which the movie is based on. It is a very funny book, and it has a lot of different stories of what can happen when you say yes. We will mail the book to any country that you may be listening from, and this is what you have to do to enter. To enter, email us at feedback at everyromcom.com, and you're going to include the code phrase, which we are going to give you later in the episode. We will draw a winner from the entries we receive by January 20th, 2023, and then contact you to get your mailing address. If you don't want to enter the contest, but you would still like to get a possible shout out on a future episode, you can also email us at feedback at everyromcom.com and either recommend your favorite self-help book or tell us about a time you said yes to something scary that worked out well. So we hope to hear from a lot of you, and I cannot wait to share this book with one lucky listener. I legitimately love this book, so I'll talk about it later in the episode. And now let's listen to part of the trailer for Yes Man. Carl Allen has reported for duty. I'm not a soldier, Norman. I'm having a little get-together at my place. We are Sparta! Yeah, no. No, no. No, no. You're always making excuses. No, no. When's the last time you did anything fun? Hi. Carl, long time no see. You must be running this place by now. I could have. Didn't want to get tied down. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. I've lived. Yes, man. Wow. Yes! Yes! No. You say no to life, and therefore you're not living. Every time an opportunity presents itself, you will say... Yes. Yes! Yes! I do want to take guitar lessons. I am Farzos. Would you be the man for me? I guess so. Yes, I would like to learn Korean. What did he call me? <laughs> oh. Discover what happens. You have to say yes to everything. Yes. Do you need a ride? On that thing? When every question... Can I borrow a couple bucks? Are we going to fight or what? Would you like to throw loose your bridal shower? Has the same answer. Yeah. Sure. Why not? That'd be great. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love that. That is sweet, Carl. Thanks, Fish. This Christmas. I never had a Red Bull before, but I had a Red Bull last night. I really like Red Bull. Yeah, you seem a little hyper. Oh, jeez! 
I mean, I think that does it pretty much justice. It's just like a yeah. rolling crazy time. Yeah. And like the music choices, like sometimes I don't like it when the music's not from the movie, but they chose really well in this They trailer. did. I have yeah. to agree with you on that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about Yes Man. Yes Man was released December 17th, 2008. So seriously, they thought it was going to be a Christmas movie. Peyton Reed is the director. It was written by Nicholas Stoller. Jared Paul and Andrew Mogul, and it's based on, as we've said, the book by Danny Wallace. It's starring Jim Carrey and Zoe Deschanel. So the premise is uh, Carl Allen is a man who says no to everything, and his life has become boring and lonely as a result. After his friend Peter gets mad at him for missing his engagement party and he's passed over for a promotion at work, Carl runs into an old acquaintance who invites him to go to a seminar on saying yes to life. At the seminar, Carl makes a covenant with Terrence, the leader of the seminar, and then becomes convinced that things will go wrong if he says no to anything at all. As a result of saying yes, Carl's life begins to improve, and he even meets a cool girl named Allison. But will Carl realize that you can say yes too often? So there's a lot of interesting things to know about this movie, but we're going to spread them a little more through the episode. Uh, First of all, as we've mentioned, the movie Yes Man is loosely based on the 2005 memoir, Yes Man by Danny Wallace. And Wallace makes a brief appearance in the movie in a party scene near the end. I'll give you more details on the book and Danny Wallace later in the episode. Because the character in the movie Yes Man says yes to learning many skills, Jim Carrey did a lot of studying for his role. He learned to play the guitar a little bit. He studied Korean for 10 weeks with dialect coach John Song, who also plays the Korean instructor in the movie. And he also did his own bungee jump. Jim Carrey's first ever bungee jump was actually the one used on the, in the film. Oh my God, that's so scary. Yeah, you're watching a man bungee jump for the first time and also like do the dialogue he was supposed to do. Oh my God. That's which nuts. is amazing. Director Peyton Reed had this to say about Jim Carrey. Quote, working with Jim every day is an adventure because the story requires him to do so many different things. He rides a motorcycle, he learns Korean, plays guitar, plays Dance Dance Revolution, he roller luges, and he bungee jumps off a bridge. Jim just dug in and he was so prepared on this film, it made my job much easier. End quote. And that's from the website emmanuellevy.com. And Jim Carrey's physical comedy is on display throughout this whole movie. Uh, He did have one mishap. He ended up breaking three ribs in a bar scene where he falls down after running into a waitress. Um, He said he kind of changed his plan for the stunt at the last minute, and that's why he had that accident. The movie was largely shot in L.A., and it used many iconic locations, including the Hollywood Bowl and Griffith Park. It also used real local clubs and restaurants like the Bigfoot Lodge and Spaceland Club. And Sybil, if you recognize or can I tell us recognize about- every single one of those places. And I've drunk many times the, at the Bigfoot Lodge. They have one of the best s'mores cocktails I've ever had in my entire life. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I've been to go. every single place. That was like a love story to like Los Angeles. Like even the bungee jump is off. By the way, they do not bungee jump off this bridge, but it's on this bridge and um, on its way to Pasadena. Yeah, as we as we go throughout the film, like if you wanted to add more details or stories about these places, I would love to hear them. So you de- you definitely did that for Clueless. I learned about Circus Liquor from you. Circus Liquor in North Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Yes Man had a budget of seventy million and it grossed two hundred and twenty three million. 
And this 70 million budget did not include Jim Carrey's salary, by the way. He did not take a salary for Yes Man. Instead, he opted for a 36.2% share of the profits. And that ended up being a very good decision for him as the movie grossed so much. Yeah, it was. So some facts out of the way. I wanted to know um, what everybody's experiences with this movie. Like, when did you first see it? Um, what was your opinion? Have you watched it over the years? And how do you like it these days? Well, I, I remember when it came out, um, this is like after like comedy kind of changed to like the whole Judd Apatow and, and you know, Paul Rudd and, and all, all those guys. And Jim Carrey was kind of like, left behind even though he was like the biggest comedy star of the 90s you know and this just kind of felt like at the time like oh yeah Jim Carrey he's still around and it, I, I don't feel like it really made much of an impact I feel like it was like almost like too little too late at the time when it came out and I definitely had only ever seen it the one time and at the time just thought it was okay um and now that so is, it was, that is it was a bold fun statement. to finally revisit. <laughs> that is a well, bold I mean, statement listen, for two hundred twenty-three million dollars. Yeah. If somebody watched it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm surprised to hear it wasn't that number either, because by the way. it was not me. I did not watch this movie. For I went okay. to the theater. I, I saw this in the theater with my brother, so we were we were psyched because, like as you said, David, he was so big in the '90s. My brother would go to all his films at the movie theater I worked at, and like, yeah, it was just a big thing for us to go together to watch this movie in the theater and. Yeah, so I was drawn in. But anyway, sorry, I didn't want to derail you, David. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, no, I was so surprised to hear about uh, how much it made because I felt like it just kind of came and went and nobody liked it. Nobody really talked about it. And so I guess it was somewhat of a hit at the time. And uh, I'm glad to hear that because, I mean, it's a fun movie. Yeah, it may have also made a lot internationally, too, like I want to say. So, yeah, because I think this is a movie that translates well to a lot of different countries, probably. Yeah. So, Sybil, you said you didn't see it at the time? No, I am not a Jim Carrey fan. So, really? I find his physical humor um, hard to manage. And the same with this film. Like, we'll get into it, but uh, I'm incredibly uncomfortable all of the time while watching him. It's like watching a like 10 year old in you know, um, grade school trying to be like, look at me, look at me. You seriously, I've been traumatized my entire life. So therefore I need to be the person that you're always looking at and laughing at so that you know that I, so you don't see my insecurity. And like his eyes are always so sad. (laughs) So Sybil, why did you decide you wanted to come on this episode? (laughs) Because I was like, well, maybe I need to, because I've, as Jim Carrey has grown as an actor, Mm -hmm. I really loved his serious stuff. And I, as a person, I think he's absolutely fascinating. So I was like, maybe I'll go back and watch something. Maybe I, you know, was just thinking of his in loving color days and stuff. And I was like, no, as I watched this, I was definitely like, oh God, no, this is why I don't watch Jim Carrey's stuff. Absolutely. So you would say you do not like the movie? Oh, I absolutely do not like this movie. Oh my god! Okay, so I love this movie. So <laughs> even now, because it, it ages yes. so poorly, it's no, so I don't, offensive. I, I don't think so. So, so for all right, I'll, I'll be I'll be interested to see what points you want to say age poorly later. But all right, so okay, okay. So I I love Yes Man. I saw it with my brother, like I said, when it came out in theaters, and then I watched. I got it on DVD. I watched it over the years. And then my biggest interaction with Yes Man came when I was a teacher in South Korea. So I was at a university in South Korea and we were we were doing presentations on movies, right? And it was a way for students to learn English, basically. And Yes Man was one of the movies people could choose. And it was like by far the most popular selection. Like all the students would like kind of fight over who got to do Yes Man. 
and they love the movie. And part and part of why they love the movie is because Jim Carrey speaks Korean in the movie. And there's like other Koreans speaking in the movie and they loved it. They were just like, this is amazing. Every time they gave a presentation about it, they would show scenes where Jim Carrey speaking Korean in their presentation. And like, yeah, like I think it meant a lot to them to see their culture represented because this was like before, you know, K-pop blew up really big in the U.S. The students really responded to it. They really responded to the positive message of it and the saying yes of it all. And I did too. Like I've always really responded to like the idea of like, going out and going for things and taking a risk. So, and so forth. Like I do it in some areas of my life, but not all. And so for me, this movie is like pretty inspirational. And for me, it has aged well. I find it very rewatchable. Um, I find the whole thing very cohesive. Like the script is very good at like seeding things in that pay off later. Like I've rarely seen a movie that does that that effectively. You know what I mean? Like all the characters kind of show up later and interconnect in different ways. So yeah, I have no, I have no complaints with it, but I'm, I'm, Definitely bring your complaints as we go. Definitely bring your critiques as we go, Sybil. No problem. <laughs> and and David, like you're just, it seems like you like it, but it's not like your favorite, maybe. Yeah, I feel like I come in right in between you guys. And I do think there's some stuff that definitely does not age well. Um, but at the same time, I think that it's all in good fun. And so, you know, I, I don't think any of it is particularly offensive, just maybe uh, wouldn't work nowadays. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's, uh, yeah. So Sybil, you pick out your red flags as we go. And um, David, hopefully you'll bring us some puzzle pieces as we go too. Sure. And, and yeah, let's get headed into the cast and crew. So I'm going to cover Jim Carrey today. Um, we did not cover him on our Once Bitten episode because I thought he should be associated with a better film. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Carrey is from Ontario and he grew up in the Toronto area. He was a performer from an early age. Uh, According to his IMDb bio, in junior high, his teachers would give him a few minutes at the end of the day to perform comedy for the class if he would settle down for the rest of the day, which I love that. That sounds like Jim Carrey. And during the end of high school, though, he had to work eight hour factory shifts in order to help support his family when his dad lost his job. And I've variously seen it where he had to actually drop out of high school or where he worked after high school. But I think he actually had to drop out of high school because it said he got a GED later. Simultaneously, while he was working in the factory, though, he began working as a stand up comedian. He actually made his club debut at age 15. That is remarkable. That is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a prodigy, basically. And um, much of his early comedy work was doing impressions. And eventually he got out of that and expanded to other things. Um, he moved to Hollywood at 19, and he soon became the opening act for Rodney Dangerfield. Carrie's first IMDb credit, though, is for the Canadian TV movie Rubberface in 1981. And then other roles in the 80s included Once Bitten, which we covered on episode 48 of Every Rom-Com, a supporting role in Peggy Sue Got Married, and a lead role in Earth Girls Are Easy. And then, as you said, David, like his his big years were in the 90s. From 90 to 94, he worked on the TV comedy sketch show In Living Color. And then in 1994, Carrie had his breakout film role in Ace Ventura Pet Detective. And then the same year, 1994, The Mask and Dumb and Dumber came out. Like when I looked at that, I was like, my God, that was like his year. It's insane. It's truly insane. Like, I always think of 94 as the year Pulp Fiction came out or Shawshank Redemption or Forrest Gump, right? But like, this is like Jim Carrey's year. And then in 1995, Carrey appeared in the Ace Ventura sequel, and he played the Riddler in Batman Forever. In 96, he appeared in what I think is the unfairly panned dark comedy, The Cable Guy. 
my brother one of the saw, best comedies of the 90s yes thank you my brother saw that like 20 times at the theater when i was working there which is a little weird but and then carrie finished up the 90s with liar liar the truman show and man on the moon so just an all over great run then carrie's 2000s films before yes man included how the grinch stole christmas bruce almighty eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and a series of unfortunate events um, if you've ever listened, and I do not particularly like How the Grinch Stole Christmas, it's not my jam, but listening to him discuss what it was like to film that and like the trials and tribulations he went through, I was like, this man is such so like seriously like into his art because his costume made him feel like he was drowning every day. Like he couldn't oh breathe God. in it and he would have claustrophobic attacks. And yeah. they actually brought someone onto set who was like, teaches people in the CIA how to um, be interrogated and be able oh. to survive interrogation because that's I think how he, I think he had was. to wear these like big thick contacts also for the yeah. uh, Grinch eyes and they're like super painful every time they were put in. Yeah. And he, he just, he would always say like, I'm doing it for the children. I'm doing it for the children. That's what kept him going. The idea that this movie would last forever for children to enjoy. My God. Right. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, no, like that's, that's, I didn't know that. I've never actually seen his version of the Grinch. Yeah. Like for me, like the, the early 2000s, all about eternal sunshine. Like that movie was so meaningful to me. Yeah. So, that, that, yeah. That, that is one of the ones where he started going more serious. And I think, I think he's a very underrated actor. He's absolutely incredible in my mind in like what he can do and his yeah. physicality. He even, he still uses it even in serious stuff. He, it's just so much more subtle. Yeah. Yeah. So then after Yes Man, Carrie appeared in films including I Love You, Philip Morris, A Christmas Carol, Mr. Popper's Penguins, Kick-Ass 2, Dumb and Dumber 2, spelled T-O, The Bad Batch, Dark Crimes, Sonic the Hedgehog, and the TV show Kidding. And in 2022, Carrie reprised his role as Dr. Robotnik for Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Um, also in 2022, Carrie told Access Hollywood that he was most likely retiring from acting. He said, quote, well, I'm retiring. Yeah, probably. I'm being fairly serious. It depends. If the angels bring some sort of script that's written in gold ink that says to me that it's going to be really important for people to see, I might continue down the road, but I'm taking a break. End quote. So it's not really a definitive statement, but it's like, uh, it's kind of like that Quentin Tarantino 10 movies and I'm quitting thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he, he kind of like fell off for a while and then came back huge with the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. So it's certainly a good way to, to go out if he does decide to really retire. Yeah. Well, also he's, if you follow him for any of his spirituality stuff, he is very much of the mind that you do what you do in this life so that it is meaningful and that it will live on forever beyond you. And that's yeah. why, you, that's why you do what you do. Yeah. And like, speaking of that, Instead of acting, Carrie has been, said he is enjoying painting and his spiritual life. And um, he took a painting around 2011. And I watched this short documentary released in 2017 that you can see on Vimeo. It's called Jim Carrey, I Needed Color. And that's about his painting. And that was really interesting. So I recommend if you're at all interested in Jim Carrey, check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Have you guys seen that at all? I actually watched it because you had it in the show notes and I loved it. It was so good. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, he also got into creating political cartoons during the Trump administration. So a lot of people have seen that. And spirituality has been an important part of Kerry's life, um, but he doesn't follow one particular religion. In a 2004 interview with CBS, he said, I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Christian. I'm whatever you want me to be. 
It all comes down to the same thing. You are either in a loving place or you are in an unloving place. So that's a pretty good philosophy. And speaking of philosophy, yeah. And speaking of his philosophy, overall, he seems like a really good choice to take on the role of a yes man. So I learned about this from my Korean students, actually. They, some of them played this during their presentations. In 2014, he gave a commencement speech at Maharishi International University. And part of his speech set was this. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. You can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love, end quote. And like to make that more meaningful, that's about how his father didn't follow his dreams and instead took like a boring job he didn't want. And he still got fired from that. So Carrie's lesson from that was like, just do what you want to do, because there's no guarantees you're going to succeed if you take the path you don't want. He's a pretty deep dude, actually. He's a very deep dude. Um, So he has a memoir and it is the most strange thing you will ever read. It is like a drug induced dream state. But at the same time, like it's supposed to be like, is this really true? Is it not true? But I mean, if, you, if you've if you learned anything about Jim Carrey, so much of that I guarantee you is true, maybe heightened in a few places, but like it's about like finding yourself and life. Yeah, I read it's part memoir, part novel, and it's the co-author of that is Dana Vashon. So yeah, I really want to read it now. I've got it on my holds at the library now. It's one of the strangest things I've ever read. It feels kind of like Sound and the Fury at times. Weird. Okay. That's awesome. All right. Anything else we want to say about Jim Carrey? Should we move on? As as a person, I think he's a very cool person. Even if I don't always like what he does, I respect everything he does do. Mm. All right. Well, okay. That's nice. That's fair of you, Sybil. All right. And then David's going to go ahead now and tell us a little bit about Zoe Deschanel. All right. So Zoe Deschanel uh, comes from a Hollywood family. Her father, Caleb, is a cinematographer and her mother was an actress. Her older sister, Emily Deschanel, is also an actress and perhaps best known for her starring role on the TV series Bones. Zoe Deschanel's first IMDb credit is for an episode of Veronica's Closet in 1998, followed by her first movie role, Mumford, in 1999. And in 2000, she had her breakout role playing the main character's older sister, Anita, in Almost Famous. And I, and I really then, re- I remember her from that. Like, do you, I remember yeah. being struck by her. Yeah. Absolutely. That was, I think, the first time I became aware of her, for sure. Um, Then in 2001, she followed it up uh, alongside future 500 Days of Summer co-star Joseph Gordon-Levitt in a drama called Manic. Deschanel also did a number of other indie films before Yes Man, including The Good Girl, All the Real Girls, Winter Passing, The Go-Getter, Flakes, and Gigantic. She also appeared in the not-so-indie film Elf, uh, also, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Failure to Launch, and The Happening. The Happening. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, but, what a but movie. For se- but for serious, these indie films, like, I really want to see most of them now. I looked up some of the descriptions and I was like, my God, like, I really need to delve into her early filmography, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, she was like a kind of a it, like, hipstery kind of indie girl for a while. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of those movies are great. And of course, Elf is, you know, a Christmas classic at this point. Um, yeah. yeah. So after Yes Man, uh, Deschanel appeared in 500 Days of Summer in 2009 and Our Idiot Brother in 2011. And also in 2011, she began playing the lead character on the popular TV series New Girl, which ran until 2018, which she was also a producer on. She didn't make many films during the 2010s, but did do a handful of movies, including voice acting for Trolls in 2016 and Trolls 2 in 2020. 
Most recently, Deschanel co-starred in the 2022 movie Dreamin' Wild, and she currently has a movie in post-production called Harold and the Purple Crayon. In addition to her acting work, she has a music career, uh, which I feel like lately she's maybe even more known for. Yeah. Uh, she's been very active since high school and is best known for the project with M. Ward called She and Him, uh, which as that duo, they've released seven albums, starting with the album Volume 1 in 2008, up to their latest release in 2022, Melt Away, a tribute to Brian Wilson. In addition to She and Him, Deschanel also has sung in many of her movie projects and in the show New Girl. Zoe Deschanel, I feel like she's been in so much, but I've only seen like the tip of the iceberg. And I and I still kind of like, she got kind of associated with that manic pixie dream girl label, you know, in the 2000s. Yeah. But I think there's a lot more to her work and I, I want to seek it out. Do you guys watch a lot of her stuff or listen to her music or anything? Um, I listen to her music. I saw her at the Hollywood Bowl maybe five or six years ago and she was fantastic. Oh, no way. Nice. I know oh. I definitely listened to that first album from She and Him. Um, I haven't listened to any of the ones recently though i'm kind of curious about the brian wilson project i think that could be interesting so maybe i'll check that out totally all right so we're on to peyton reed he is the director of this film peyton reed grew up and attended university in north carolina and according to wikipedia one of his earliest film jobs was as a van driver on bull durham which was filming in north carolina lucky for him (laughs) reed's earliest writing and directing credits are in the late 80s for short tv specials and music videos he continued to direct for tv during the 90s including on mr show with bob and david and upright citizen brigade His big break came in 2000 when he directed the Kirsten Dunst cheerleader comedy, Bring It On, which is one of my favorite films. Yes, me too. I love that movie so much. (laughs) Yes. Before Yes Man, he also directed the rom-coms Down With Love and The Breakup. Which, David, didn't you say that Down With Love was like one of your faves on the last episode we did with you? It's so good. Um, I only first saw it a couple years ago for the first time, and I, I can't believe how good that movie is. It's very strong. Yeah. After Yes Man, Reed continued to direct for TV, including directing three episodes of Zoe Deschanel's show, The New Girl. In 2015, Reed somewhat controversially stepped in for Edgar Wright to direct Marvel's Ant-Man, which is probably okay. how most people know him. Okay. And wait, but like, why? I, I know like there's controversy because Edgar Wright stepped down, right? But like, I don't feel like he did not step in. I mean, he stepped down, but he didn't really sure, step down. Sure. But That's I don't think, I, I don't think it's really Peyton Reed's like fault that he was then. No, but I, I think that it always, they all, like for me, at least in the industry, they all, it always goes together. Whenever you say Peyton Reed, you're like, oh yeah, he stepped in for Edgar Wright. It always, it happens every time. Okay. Okay. So I think to ignore it is at least for me, it's something strange. And I mean, okay. I think that one of the things is because everybody thinks that Peyton Reed was not going to do a good job. And then he like kicked it out of the park. Right. Like yeah. he just was like, it's, he made Ant-Man so incredibly good. Yeah. Totally. I don't know why you would think Peyton Reed wouldn't do a good job. He's a very good director in my opinion. So yeah. Yeah. But I think that people thought Ant-Man was going to be a little more less sure. ro- romancy and more like kind of odd. Mm-mm-mm. Because if you think about it, if it, like if Edgar Wright had done that film, it would have been a very different looking feeling film. Well, he's done all kinds of films too. Edgar Wright, you know, has a style that varies considerably movie to movie. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so um, Reed also directed the sequel Ant Man and the Wasp and the upcoming third movie Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. And that's like the only Marvel property that I'm like super excited about right now. To be honest, like I feel like Same the Ant Man movies. Have, yeah, agree. Thank you. Agreed. I feel like the Ant-Man quality has been consistent or even better 
whereas some of the other series have been like eh, mixed. Well, and I love Paul Rudd. So like yeah. I could, I could wax poetic on Paul Rudd and how just incredibly <laughs> good he is on pretty much everything he does. Yeah. He's the best. Reed also recently directed two episodes of the Star Wars TV show, The Mandalorian. Yeah. And I didn't see anything upcoming for him, but like, you know, I'm sure he'll keep doing great stuff. He's been working on Ant-Man. That's been taking up all the time. Yeah. So, and then this movie has like a deep cast of supporting actors. Okay. Like there's people showing up in here. You wouldn't expect Um, Bradley Cooper plays Peter um, Carl's friend. And this was before the hangover. Uh, Terrence Stamp plays Terrence, the leader of the Yes Man seminars. Reese Darby plays Norman. Danny Masterson plays Rooney. And John Michael Higgins plays Nick. So, And there's more people in this movie we'll talk about later. All right, well, let's get into the movie now. So I love the way this movie opens because they open with the song Separate Ways by Journey, which is like, it sounds like some action's going to happen, something exciting's going to happen. And then it cuts to Carl with his cell phone ringtone going, no, no. I'm looking really depressed. I love that misdirect. I want to state right here that this film is so incredibly 90s. This is literally like the cusp of where, like the world sort of kind of changing technologically. Wait, 90s? This is from 2008. <laughs> but like, don't you feel, but don't you feel no. like they pull in so much stuff? Like they, they use like um, a Polaroid at one point and yeah, but that was like a hipster revival of the Polaroid though. That was maybe like I do this not is so two thousands. This is so Portland two thousands for me. Like I was living in Portland when this movie is. came out. This is the phone people had in Portland in the two thousands. This is the Polaroid people were using. Like ironically, this is the whole yeah. This is the whole shtick with that. There's know, a lot right? of references in here that are very very specific to that point in time. I mean. I was actually surprised, like when somebody brought up Facebook at one point, I was like, was Facebook big yet? Like I is like, it was really kind of surprising. Like, but yeah, it's like a very specific moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe like Sybil, you were living in the future and the rest of us were still a few years in the or, past. Well, or I, I really do not understand hipster culture. So like that, I probably <laughs> look at and was like, I don't understand that even a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And we see Carl, speaking of another throwback, the opening sequence takes place in a video store where um, Carl is renting tapes or rather DVDs. He's renting DVDs at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's like a blockbuster, basically. And you're like, whoa, there you go. Think of the end days of blockbuster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was getting to be the end there. Um, and the shtick here is that Carl picks up the phone. Eventually, his friend Peter's on the other line. Um, asking him to go out and Carl's claiming to be at home, making a bunch of excuses. And then we see Peter reveals that he's right outside the video store, looking at Carl faking being busy. So, so yeah. that I cracked the heck up at, I was like, I'm just um, the whole idea of being caught and then like, still like lying about it. And then yeah. Bradley Cooper sold that so hard. Yeah. Bradley Cooper's great in this. He's like the, the look that he gives where he's like on his phone, he's just looking at, at Jim Carrey, like in the line lying to him. And he's just like, dude, this happens every day. So Carl ends up having to go to the bar with Peter where he announces, Peter announces his engagement to his girlfriend, Lucy. And then Stephanie, Carl's ex-wife, who apparently they divorced three years ago, shows up with her new boyfriend. This causes Carl to freak out. And we kind of get a sense of this might be what caused him to say no to everything. Relatable situation, not relatable. Meh. Yeah, I feel that way, meh. I, don't, okay. I, I never really got down about breakups, so. Really? Yeah. Never, That's a superpower. Never happened with me. <laughs> that is a superpower. I don't know. Yeah, I, I know. From what I understand, it's not normal, but um, 
know, I was always like, oh, that sucks. All right. On to the next uh, segment of my life. Well, also, yeah. he's like been broken up about this for a very, very long time. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it, like, is, it yeah. has like, been long like His life ago. stopped essentially. When, right, yeah. right. You know, his ex, his ex was like, and for all you know, she was like, I can't stand the person you're becoming because you just sit at home and don't want to do anything ever. Hmm. Yeah. So you, don't like, really, you don't really know that part of the story of him so much. That's something I would have liked to be fleshed out a bit more. If there had been a Yes Man TV series. <laughs> Heck yeah. Or even in this, like if they had had a conversation once where she's like, you know, I just, this is typical yeah. you. And I really wish, you know, there are reasons why I'm, you know, with somebody who likes to, or like when you meet the new boyfriend and she's like, this is, he likes to do things with me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the next uh, series of sequences, we see Carl saying no to a number of things in his life. This is one of the things I love about this movie. All the things he says no to are eventually going to pay off. He says no to his neighbor, Tilly, who wants help with something. He says no to a guy handing out flyers for a band. Says no to his boss, Norm's party, which is a funny hat and or wig party. Let me just say, I really want to be invited to a funny hat and or wig party. Norm's parties are the part of this movie that I love. I'm like, I'm ready for Norm (laughs) and just hanging out at his parties. Thank you. I love Norm too. He's also, Norm is um, played by the actor who plays Murray on Flight of the Concords. And I love that actor as well. So... And then, and then, of course, Carl's a loan officer, and so he's saying no to a loan as well. And then um, we see Carl finding out that he has not been promoted at work. Um, it's gone to some other guy instead. This is one of the points that I, I could not get actually a good read on how, like, he actually felt. Do you feel that he was sad he didn't get the promotion? Or are you, do we feel that, like, he, like, was like, no, I really didn't want the that promotion it was going to make me do too much work anyway resigned i feel like he felt resigned and so it's maybe not sad but it's like not happy yeah i think he just doesn't care about anything really yeah yeah apathy apathy yeah, that's exactly. good apathy he's exactly. like apathetic about it okay he then has an encounter with an old acquaintance named nick and i'm just going to go ahead and play that clip what have you been doing oh i've been all over the map man i've lived I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. I ate bat and laos. I shot a cow with a bazooka. I'm not proud of that last one, but I did it, man. Wow, sounds wild. Want to know my secret? I'm a yes man. The word yes has changed my life here. No, thanks. I'm fine. Fine, I wipe my ass with fine. Wow, okay. You don't want to work here, Carl. Yeah, I do. No, you don't. Why don't you take this rock, throw it at that bank and shatter the window? No, thanks. Then ask me if I want to. Do you want to throw that rock at the bank? Yes! Oh my god! What are you nuts? Go to the seminar, Carl. I love that scene. I love that actor. He's so funny. Yeah. He's awesome. He really captures that, uh, like the pushiness, that very strange, like, uh, yeah, it's like a pushiness of people who have found something and they just really want you to be a part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. That manic excitement, the look in the eyes, the kind of Mm -hmm. like, you're a little bit frightened of them. You are a little bit frightened and you know that they're like on some kind of journey that you may or may not want to take ever. (laughs) 
Like, I feel like I've maybe been that person like once or twice in my life to other people. So like, I can, I can be amused by it. Like in that sense too, like it'd be, it's relatable to me. Like I've both met people like that. And I think I've briefly been people like that, you know, before I kind of calm down. Right. Well, I mean, I think anytime we have something new that's like changing our life, it's like you want everyone else to have that same experience. You'd be like, no, but this is amazing. Go see this amazingness. Be part of this amazingness with us. Part, sometimes I actually feel like that when I'm promoting the podcast too. Like I have to be like this guy, but like, have you listened to this episode? It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So have you guys ever met someone in your life who came up to you with like a program or something like this? Have you had this experience, like someone sort of proselytizing that you kind of knew? Oh, uh, heck yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, for real. So I, I mean, anytime, like I had anybody who's ever met somebody who loves keg and water, this is the conversation that you have. Wait, what? Okay. What water? <laughs> so not a Kagan water fan then. There you go. So Kagan water is a certain kind of water that they, it alkalizes. And so people are like, oh, oh I can change my pH yeah. in my water and it changed my life. And like my, you know, big toe that fell off is, has reappeared and grown again. And, you know, it's, it's like. Yeah, this, this is, is, this is the kind of thing that the mute are. button is for on social media. The, the mute button does wonders. So I don't have to hear from these people. <laughs> So wait, wait, you know, multiple people with this water in person or online? To in, in person, in okay. person, for sure. Have you ever tried this water? Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's, okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's alkalized water. And are these people selling the water or they just really it, want you to know The machine that makes the water. Okay. So like you attach it to your home. Do you really want to go into like how cake and water functions? It's going to be no, very exciting. It, it, it cures like cancer. It does, it does everything it, it you can. It does. It cures cancer for sure. It's at seven, yeah. at seven pH, definitely curing cancer. No, it's mm -hmm. more like I just wanted to know like what your relationship with these people was like, and did you feel it was transactional or they were just true believers? And no, like, they were true. No, these they're real. They're true believers. It's like okay. when you meet. And I apologize, I'm about to say this to every vegetarian. When you meet somebody who's never been a vegetarian or a vegan or a Ross, <laughs> and then they become that. There comes a period of time where they want to convert you very hard. Oh, yeah. And that's no, fine because no. they're very excited about it. No, that's yeah. one of the times in my life when I was definitely John Michael Higgins' character here. Like when I first went vegan, like I was like telling everybody about it. And like I went through like about a six-month period of that and then I calmed down. <laughs> yeah, like, because <laughs> anything that's new that's like changed you, that has cha actually made changes for you, you do want to share that change with other people. Yeah. I want you to experience the same change and joy I'm having in this change. Yeah. You know, yeah. That yeah. this epiphany, I want you to have this as well. Yeah. It's yeah. often coming from a good place, but it can be a nuisance to other people depending on whether they want to receive these types of messages. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts about this encounter with Nick before we move on? I, mean, I think it's a good setup for like what's up, you know, everything else is going to happen. Like writing yeah. wise, this is like, a, as you said, a well-wrought movie. Like it's well-written in the sense of like the beats and the pacing and everything. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we get a little more of Carl's no man um, before we get to the, the main action of the movie. Um, we see him renting tapes again. I love that he's got like saw and 300. Um <laughs> I love that he's like, he's arguing with Saw. Like, he's just like, I don't, like, go ahead, take off your arm, whatevs. Don't be a little bitch about it. I mean, we all do that, don't we? We talk to our movies. I mean, come on. Sure. Yeah. And we see a sad call to his ex-wife, Stephanie, who, like, cuts him off. Um, and we, then we see Peter confront Carl for missing his engagement party. Comes right over to his house to tell him, you missed my engagement party. And kind of tell him off. And then we get like this nightmare sequence with Carl dead on the couch and like a 
fly is crawling on his face. Uh, yeah, and he, I wonder if they really had a fly crawling on his face. I couldn't find any information about that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know, but it, it's creepy, and that that's pure Jim Carrey. So yeah, is this part of the physical acting that creeps you out, Sybil? Yes, part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this one should creep you out. <laughs> I mean, it's like going to go in his mouth and stuff. Like disgusting. All right, and so now now we come. Carl's had this nightmare. He's been kind of scared into trying out the Yes seminar. So he shows up at this Yes. Yes is the new No. I think is like the name of the book that's being hawked at this one, and um, it's in this huge event hall. It's packed with people. There's this like kind of dance electronic music playing and video screens with like uh, Terrence Stamp talking on them. And everyone in the audience knows that they're supposed to shout yes on cue at certain times. And then no, man, no, at other times. It's this whole cult-like atmosphere. What do you guys think of this whole um, yes, man scene here that we have, this setup we I mean, have? if you've ever been to anything that's like this, this is 100% real. So have you been to things like this? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. So what kind of things? Like, I mean, people who are like going to teach you how to like, you know, use real estate to change your life okay, or okay. Um, Nexium or anybody who's like been in any multi-level marketing schemes. So yeah. like Herbalife people, like anything like Mary Kay, come on. This is what this is like. Okay. And like, so you've been in that atmosphere. Was it uncomfortable? Oh, yeah, or I've been on it- this. Cause you know, you, okay. So this is what happens. People invite you to come mm-hmm. and you're just like, you've just learned over the years to say yes really yeses you just say yes to that knowing that you're just going to leave and be like whatever i don't really care but it's an experience and you've done it with somebody and maybe you'll save them from like making poor choices okay so you've volunteered to go with people and like but not but knowing that you weren't going to buy into things heck yeah interesting okay have you ever been to something like this david yeah, same thing. These direct sale, multi-level marketing type things. I've been to a couple of them where I just, I kind of had no choice. You know, it's like a a friend or a friend of a friend. You just kind of get rolled into going and you know that you're not going to buy in. You're just biding the time until it's over so you can leave. And everyone is just so bought in. Every mm-hmm. other person in that in that room. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very creepy. It's very cult-like. And it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's, I always imagine it's like the Salem Witch Trials. You're all just sitting there and they're like, yes, yes. We all now agree. We've been brainwashed. The propaganda is working. Wow. Yeah, I, like, I've had experiences with um, meditation retreats and like one of them was a bit culty. I'll probably talk a little bit more about that on the Eat, Pray, Love episode because it's more similar to like the ashram vibe in that movie mm-hmm. than it is to this. Like meditation has a whole different kind of culty vibe sometimes depending on the group you're doing it with. And I've gone to non-culty meditation groups too. I'm going to just right. be clear I about mean, that. you can see that like when you just said that, I'm like, oh, I've been to that yoga. I've been to that, I've been to that yoga retreat. The one yeah, where they're- it's big in those kinds of circles as well, yeah. for sure. Yeah, but like I haven't been to anything like this that like is so well produced, except maybe like a, a democratic state convention or something like that, which is its own kind of, you know, group mindset. Like people seem mm-hmm. to like these group mindsets, like whether it's a sports game or people have their certain cheers they do or or this kind of, I don't know, improve your life seminar or whatever. Yeah. Right. It's all very religious-y uh, also at the same time. And mega churches are so popular now. Mm. Totally. That's true. Yeah, it has a megachurch vibe too as well. Yeah, interesting. Are there any puzzle pieces you get out of this scene at all, David, just out of curiosity? Like, does it remind you of any other movies? 
Well, as far as things that may be inspired, Yes Man, I mean, the only things that I really had down, um, and we'll talk more about things that maybe Yes Man inspired along the way, I'm sure, but uh, things that, that might have inspired Yes Man, of course, The Secret was really big at this time, mm. and talking about self-help. I feel like everybody had a copy of the DVD of the, the Secret adaptation and all that, you know, power of positive thinking stuff. So I, I think that that was kind of in the air when they made this movie. And then, uh, of course, Liar, Liar. Uh, this is, mm. you know, it, it feels directly almost like a follow-up in a way. Yeah, I mean, just like the, the conceit that he has to do something. Yeah, yeah, yes. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this this moment actually gives me a very, like, um, Tom Cruise and Magnolia vibe. But I oh. think it's supposed to because it's like, it's like what, Tony Robinson or whatever that guy is. Who's, Tony Robbins, yeah. Yeah, Robbins, it's based on, I think. Uh, but it, it gave me very much that vibe. Nice. Yeah, we're going to play a, a clip. We're going to play a clip now of this um, uh, cult-like uh, leader of the group, played by Terrence Stamp, playing the character named Terrence, which I kind of love. So here's a clip of um, Terrence talking to Carl at this seminar. What's your name? Carl. Let me guess, Carl. Someone talked you into coming here today, didn't they? Yes. Yeah! And you're not sure about this, are you? No. No man, no man, no man, no man! You're dead, Carl. You say no to life, and therefore you're not living. You make up excuses to the people around you, and to yourself. You're stuck in the same dead-end job you have been for years. You don't have a girlfriend. You don't have anything close to a girlfriend. And you lost the love of your life because she couldn't be with someone who didn't live theirs. Well, and on most nights you're so bored and filled with ennui, you can't even summon the enthusiasm necessary to masturbate. Am I right, Carl? Um, I have had some trouble. We're going to make a covenant, Carl. Yes. Do you want to make a covenant? Uh. The word is yes, Carl. Yes! 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 Once you leave this building, every time an opportunity presents itself, no matter what it is, you will say yes. What if I say the other word? You'll be making a promise to yourself. And when you break a promise to yourself, things can get a little dicey. What do you say, Carl? Are you ready to make a covenant? Yes. Yes! 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 Again. Yes. yes. Say it again. Yes. yes. Make me believe it. Yes. 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 Yeah. Oh man, that is so culty. When I just listened to it too. Yeah. <laughs> you t- you take someone who's really broken down and sad. You single them out. 
in a in a group of people who all think the same way. You get into their personal life, into their head, and then you, they get encouragement only if they agree with you. It's pretty perfect. Oof. Sinister. Sinister. I thought Terrence Stamp was perfectly cast in this movie, too, though. I just thought he's... he's- He's brilliant. Like his, like when he takes off, he kicks off his shoes and runs down. That's the best. I was like, yeah. I was like, you know, he just decided to do that. That's magic. <laughs> yes. If the mohill won't come to Terrence, Terrence will come to the mohill. <laughs> so after the seminar, Carl is walking back to his car and Nick's kind of keeping an eye on him. And a homeless guy asks Carl if he can have a ride. And Carl looks like he's going to like decline, but then Nick's like, yes, of course he will. So Nick's kind of keeping him into the yes vibe. So Carl lets the guy get into his car. Um, The guy asks for his phone. So he lets him use his cell phone and he asks for money. So he gives him money and he ends up in the end out of gas in Elysian Park. Um, Is this a park that you're familiar with, Sybil? It is. It is. Um, They're really at Griffith Park, but Elysian Park is, you know, it is a park that there is in Los Angeles. Does it have any kind of reputation? Because he seems scared by it. Um, I mean, I think all Los Angeles parks at night have a reputation, you know, like just, okay. you know, lots of homeless people. You could be mugged. It's, you know, dark. But not an especially bad reputation. Not an especially bad one, no. Okay. So he's in the park, he runs out of gas, and he ends up having to walk down to a gas station. And it's at this gas station when he's kind of like mumbling to himself that he ends up encountering Allison for the first time. She's got this like uh, hipster scooter helmet with like eyes on it. And she takes a picture of him while he's bent over the gas station, gas can mumbling to himself. And then she ends up giving him a ride on her scooter up to the park. She is a terrible driver, by the way. I don't know why this terrible driver shtick is so big in movies. I I think that it's supposed to add to her like quirkiness that like, she's not a terrible driver. She's just like, you know, like like dangerously. I don't know. She's She's just a bad driver. She is, but but I think it's supposed to be quirky. I think it's supposed to be like the whole, everything about her character is so like generic, like quirky girl. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But this bad driver thing—it's like a thing in Clueless. It's a thing in My Best Friend's Wedding. Cameron Diaz's character is like this kind of like unsafe. That's driver. because like, it makes women like less threatening because they're not good at something, but they're still just blindly and blithely going around doing it. You think that's what it is? I don't know. I Maybe do. it's a theory. It's a theory anyway. Yeah. Anyway, he has to say yes and he has to be on the scooter. And um, she takes a picture of him while she's driving badly on the scooter. <laughs> and they get up to the park and um, Carl kind of mumbles something like, like she said, are you all set here? And she, he's like, unless you want to stick around and make out. And then surprising him, she comes over and kisses him uh, and gives him the photo. But then she drives off. So it's not like she left him her number or anything. And let's talk about this photo for a second. First of all, she has the biggest camera known to man. that she's driving with on the smallest scooter ever (laughs) yep (laughs) and then where now we all have like cameras in our hands that are super small i i literally was like oh yeah that would have been life right then that that would have been life you you really don't understand hipster culture so (laughs) i I don't i don't understand hipster culture even a little bit because it wasn't like that was her only option for a a camera she purposely chose that camera for its look so yeah yeah it's it's all about things being inconvenient but like looking cool yeah. Okay. Did it look like cool? a typewriter, like using a typewriter instead of a computer? Like that's another. Yeah. Effing nerds. Okay. <laughs> so what do you get? Why do you guys think about his first meeting with Allison? I, I mean, I think that it sets them up as like, he's like, he's in a, in a place that's changing. Like he's like in this cusp of change. And she, for me, I'm like, 
I thought that at some point it was going to be that she had already taken this seminar or something like it. And that this is what mm. happens later. Mm. Like you just start living that life, that yes life. And, and did you see her as a cautionary tale or as a, a good example? I thought that she'd be a perfectly fine example. I mean, Okay. Okay. Know. I thought her character didn't really make sense necessarily as like a human being, but like was fun for the movie, you yeah. know, which, which kind of goes to that, you know, the manic pixie dream girl kind of, you know, thing. I mean, it, it really is what we have here. Yeah. It's just like this very, it's a very, it's very tropey. I think yeah. for me, like I have a different relationship to this character just because when I saw this movie, I was living in Portland, Oregon, and there are people in Portland, Oregon who are exactly like this character. Maybe not yeah. as many in LA, but in Portland at that time, the rent was such that you could afford to kind of like be in kind of a minimally successful band and have a weird jogging photography class and just like have this whole life that was like this, right? I knew people who were sort of like this. There were actual Manic Pixie Dream Girls running around Portland. I might have even been sort of one of them for a while. <laughs> All right. Yeah, everybody had like the thing in Portland was like everybody had like four things going on at a time, like weird hobbies and stuff. So, yeah. Like you're a unicyclist or you're, you're teaching some kind of yoga class or I don't know, whatever it might be. <laughs> you're a unicyclist. Well, no, we have literally, we have unicycle, we have multiple unicyclists. Like, that's yeah. like, that's the thing that you picked out. You're like, they're like a unicyclist and also they do taxidermy. And the other thing that they really love is cooking sourdough bread with hearts on it. Like that's 100, so very, 100%. like that. Something like right. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, she, she is a manic pixie dream girl in a way, but like, she also like was relatable to me as a Portlander at the time. So, so um, yeah. And then there's more. Yes. Like uh, Carl says yes to working on a Saturday and makes Norm really happy. There's computer yeses. I want to talk. Yeah. About these computer yeses. So he says yes to the ubiquitous penis enlargement uh, offer on the email, right? This is actually something that the author of Yes Man, Danny Wallace, also ordered a penis enlargement thing that he was offered. So that's actually something retained from the book. And he says yes to Persian wife finder as well. And like, so I tried to do, and I will talk about this more later, but I tried to do a yes day in preparation for this episode. And it was like the internet that made it basically impossible to follow through. I went on Twitter and like within a minute of being on Twitter, I ended up having to go and listen to a podcast because they phrased it correctly. Right. And I was listening to their <laughs> podcast and on their podcast, there was an ad for another podcast. So I had to go and listen to that podcast. And then that podcast tried to get me to join Summit Credit Union in one of their ads. And I was like, well, I have to tap out here because I can't join a credit union. So, you know. <laughs> I, sh I should have promoted my Patreon on that day. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's right, David. You didn't know which day it was, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that I might have joined You're, the credit union. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but yeah, like it's just an endless bunch of shit to do. Right. Like when you open your email, like how much of it is stuff like that? Right. Even with it, a spam all finder. Of all of it. Yeah. Nonstop. I, mean, I definitely would. I would definitely end up with a Persian wife and I would have <laughs> given money to some Russian baron. <laughs> Yeah, like in the book, yes, man, there's a segment where he actually does answer one of those Nigerian prince things. But he like, he does kind of cheat it a little bit. He does it in such a way that he ends up not losing all his money. Like he opens another bank account, like an additional one. And he keeps trying to delay them in different ways, but still being agreeable. But he ends up flying to the Netherlands to meet one of their representatives. Okay, so it's like a whole representatives? Now I want to know. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it. You got to look at I'm, I'm Maybe later I'll tell you, but I'm not spoiling it on the episode. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Anyway, I thought the internet thing was particularly funny in this movie. Yeah. 
Okay, and then his loan thing starts where he starts saying yes to people's loans. He says yes to a celebrity cake baker who bakes cakes that look supposedly look like celebrities. But nobody actually sees that celebrity. Like, they're never accurate, apparently. <laughs> and then because of all these loans and because of coming in on Saturday, Norm gives Carl the promotion after all for showing initiative. So yes starts to make a positive change in his life. So then we've got the night out with friends scene. So Carl has been saying yes for a while and he comes and apologizes to Peter and his other friend Rooney. And they kind of punish him by having him drink a lot of drinks and buy drinks for everybody else. Um, Yeah. I don't have friends who go out to bars, but I could see this being a thing that would happen if I did. Right. Also like this is important to say that he, he says to his friends that I'm saying yes to everything so that they know it and they can like use it against him. And this is a hundred percent what your friends would absolutely do. What do you yeah. guys think of the, the scene? Did you enjoy it? Was it amusing to you? I mean, I thought I, it was pretty fun. I mean, I like when he's like, was I chewing gum before? When after he makes out he with kisses. the girl. But like, listen, yeah. he does that without consent. There's like kissing yeah. without consent. I was like super yeah, he, uncomfortable. He's so there are fucking drunk There things in this movie though. that would not fly today. For sure. It's so not you're, like he, you're okay that he's drunk so that he kisses girls. Is it okay if he rapes them too? Cause he's drunk. No, no consent is civil. Consent. It's not okay if he rapes her, but it's like, I don't nope, the not same okay time. If he kisses her either. Consent. Okay. For me though, like for me, like I don't hold him as responsible in a way as I would if he were sober. And he really thinks the girl's asking him to kiss her. It's not right, but I don't think he's intentionally trying to be an asshole at the same time. It's maybe not modeling good behavior. I will give you that. I don't think it's modeling good behavior, but it doesn't make me hate the character. You I don't hate saying? him, but I'm definitely like very un- – this is like you asked me like things that I'm very uncomfortable. Okay, okay. I'm fair, very fair, uncomfortable fair. and, I, and I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. I'm like I do not think that this is okay because that's not all right. I don't care if you thought that like because you, you were drunk, you thought you could kiss me. No. And maybe, you know, maybe in 2008, that was an okay thing to do. Oh, it didn't even register in 2008. Right, because think. like it, we don't right. – we weren't at the level yet where we're like, you know what? No. You don't do that. Like you have to ask consent. Like we didn't have those conversations. But when I watched this, these are things that I was like, I'm very uncomfortable. This movie does not age well. If this movie was made now, that would not have happened because they'd be like, no, 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 we can't. We can't do that. Like he'd go like, he'd go kiss like a mannequin or something and they'd like laugh about it. Hmm. Yeah. He'd make out out with like a doll and they'd be like, he thinks that's real. Because there are are ways that you could do this that it would still be funny. It would not lead to the hilarious fight though. It would not lead to what I think is a hilarious fight scene with with this yeah. guy. Like, and he's just Carl's like weaving all over the place. And like, I also love, I and I love the line um, where he says, "If I win the fight, she, I'm going to take her to a ball." And he just says to his friend, "Every pretty girl deserves, to go, deserves to, to, go to a ball." I love that <laughs> line so much. And then after he loses the fight, he says, "She's never going to go to a ball." And then the, his <laughs> friends say, "No, no, she's not." <laughs> that line always stuck, sticks with me. I sometimes just say it. She's never going to go to a ball. I also really like when he says, I haven't fighted in a fight since grade seven. <laughs> Which also reveals him to be Canadian immediately. <laughs> grade seven. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I love that. Well, I love that scene. Maybe, Sybil, did you like the fight scene or like, is um, it just too I mean, associated? I felt that it, I was just waiting for it to finish. Okay. Like, I, I, didn't like I was not like, I didn't find it funny. I was just like, okay, okay so we're just going to have this weird, like a bunch of people are going to stand around and watch some drunk guy get beat up. Okay. Dude, but it's so funny because like he, pun- okay. The scene where he punches the wrong guy and he's like, I'm the wrong guy. And then he goes, well, maybe you need to start being the right guy. That's why you got <laughs> punched out. Cause you got the wrong attitude right out the gate. 
Like so that using, section, I totally he, laughed at. So yes, I laughed exactly. at that. That's part of it. And that's like, that's part of that part. And he's using his self-help, like, like new mindset to like, even in his drunken state. It was so funny. I, I don't know. This whole scene I like. I don't know. Yeah. I like it too. Okay. Yeah. The next scene is the one scene in the movie that I didn't really care for. So either, Sybil, do you want to tell about what the next scene amounts um, so, to? So you, at the beginning of the movie, you know, Jim Carrey walks out and he's just like, he, this old lady, his next door neighbor, she is, what is her name? Tilly or something? Yeah. yeah Tilly. Yeah. Um, she is always like, oh, come over to my place and like, help me with this or let me feed you or whatever like that. But there's, he's always like, no, that's not ever happening. And he has to say yes when he sees her in the hallway. She's like, come on over. And so he comes over and he winds up. So this part I think is hysterical. He winds up like building shelves for her, putting up an entire shelving unit. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you're just like things that you would never ask your neighbor to do. She's just yeah. like, you're going to do this. And then afterwards, she's like, you know, can I pay you in some kind of way? You know, can I, can I, you know, give you something? And he's like, no. And she's like, would you like a release? And he's, He's like, no, I no, I, I don't want that. And he like escapes. He flees. He flees. But bad things happen because he has fled. He has what, broken his covenant. Yeah. 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 He's broken his covenant. And so he winds up going back and, you know, she essentially gives him a BJ and she like puts her teeth, takes her <laughs> teeth out and sticks them in the cup next to her. Like, obviously she didn't have teeth because she's old. And that doesn't happen in 2008. What? Like people have their teeth nowadays. We're not living in the 50s. There's people with dentures in their 50s and 60s. Okay. But that aside, keep going. Yeah. So, but it was just, so this section is, he clearly doesn't want it, but he says yes to it. She does want it. So her consent is like, yes, but his consent is kind of like, I don't really Mm -hmm. want to, but I guess I have to. And does he like it? I mean, he ends up like being like, wow, how are you yeah, doing exactly. that at the end of the scene? So he it's does. like he winds up liking it, which is a little bit redeeming, but that the whole thing is framed around that she's this yeah. old lady yeah. and that she shouldn't make like that. She's like a predator because she wants to give people blowjobs. Yeah. She's yeah. lonely. You and know. they make her look as like old and frumpy old as, possible, as possible. Right? Yeah, she's wearing like socks and sandals and like a house coat for God's sakes. There's something that doesn't happen in 2008, a house coat. And, and, and like, yeah, it's, it's really, yeah, the actress is actually, um, Fianola Flanagan is, was 67 when the movie was filmed. Jim Carrey was 45. And by the way, Zoe Deschanel was 27. So, yeah. I mean, there is a smaller age gap between Carrie and Deschanel, but Fianola Flanagan is not like, like so super old. Um, then again, Sybil, on the I Could Never Be Your Woman ar- uh, episode, you were arguing about there's a biological thing to us, um, not being attracted to older people as much. So. This it's goes true. against what you were saying on that episode. Like for it's me, true. I think it's a shame to make older people look deliberately unattractive. And I do agree there's well, an ageism to it. I, I agree. Like I would have been, and I think that that scene could have been done in a way that wasn't so like overtly uncomfortable. Like mm. let's say that she was, you know, instead of her being so predatory, she could have just been like, she's like, let me give you a massage or like maybe, mm. maybe, you know, he was like, this was really like, he did, he did something or she, she, he was like, this was really nice. I was glad to hang out with you. They had a conversation. Who knows if they had some kind of backstory. Yeah. 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 It was very awkward. It's super weird. And in my mind, it never pays off. Yeah, it was, it was not, I did not enjoy this scene um, either. And also when I really thought about it, like, wouldn't, if she was so horny, wouldn't she then be just like asking and she's his neighbor. Wouldn't she like asking him to come over every single day after this? You know what I'm saying? Yes. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) 
I, I I'll just add that like yes this this scene is like probably the the part that ages the worst of the movie but like I think that this is very indicative of the time and everything was like still in that kind of like the 2000s extremeness mm. and like you know gross out humor and trying to be like as out there as yeah. possible and that's just something that I you know, there's comedy it is a whole side conversation that comedy is kind of dead right now and there's not a lot of like very funny movies but you know because it all kind of got swallowed into a side part of superhero movies but in in this era though the the 2000s comedies were like the biggest thing and they were all trying to one-up each other and i yeah. think that that's kind of what they're trying mm-hmm. to do here is just be the most out there as they could possibly be yeah like ferelli brothers south park apatow the whole yeah, yeah everything was like this yeah you're right 100 percent. yeah so there's some more yeses. One of my favorites, and I think you like this part too, Sybil, was um, the Harry Potter party. Yes. Yeah, and Norm is so happy like when he gets the email invite thing back saying yes, like he's checking it every minute. And they do this like funny face exchange in the bank, which I liked. Did you like that part at least, Sybil, the funny face exchange? I do, exchange? and I actually like okay. their relationship. I really enjoyed their relationship. I think it's like over the top, but I thought it was really funny anyways. <laughs> yeah. And then um, he does other says yes to other things. He talks to Mormons who come to his door, which I've done before. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> I actually really like that part. Um, just just like the comic timing of it. Uh, we were wondering if you had a moment to discuss the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Yeah, come in. Like, <laughs> it's just so quick and uh, really yep. funny. They must have been right. so happy. Yeah, they're just yeah. like yay. And when the, the like not Girl Scouts, Girl Scouts come by and they're selling cookies, and he's like, yeah. oh, I guess it's. I guess it's that time. And he just like whips out his like cash and is like, this yeah. is happening. And then he just takes flyers down off a wall, flying lessons, guitar lessons, Korean lessons. Um, and then there's a montage of him learning and doing things. He's going to the soup kitchen. He's giving out loans to people. And he finally agrees to see the band that the flyer guy, you know, has, has been advertising, which leads to our next scene where yeah. he Which, goes- by the way, I really like that montage. We've talked before that I like montages. Yeah. I think that montage is set up incredibly well. Yeah. I mean, you have to put a lot of this movie in montage or it wouldn't work. So, yeah. And Peyton Reed is a good montage artist as well. So, yeah. So at the club, Carl uh, goes to see this band and he is surprised to see the lead singer of the band is the Scooter Girl, um, who he later finds out is Allison. I'm going to play a little bit of the song, one of the songs that they play, because I fucking love this song. So here's a little bit of the band that she's in Munchausen by Proxy. I love that song. I, I I always I always think of the line, you can call me a 1059, but don't call me an eleven, because that's my rule now. Like I get that stuck in my head. <laughs> Did this make any impression on you guys or is it just me and my weird stuff? No, I like it. I I, th- I think it's really funny. Um it, it's it's very ridiculous and kind of overwritten, I feel like, but <laughs> it's it's still very funny though. Like it's it's like kind of be overwritten to be like the most like hipster hipster band or something or yeah, like it's too it's too perfectly ridiculous, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's supposed to be totally serious as a song or a band yeah. for sure. Um, and this fake band for the movie Munchausen by Proxy consists of Zoe Deschanel and the San Francisco band Von Eva. Um, that band has not been active since the late 2000s and their Wikipedia page says they broke up. But the band at the time wrote and recorded four songs for the movie's soundtrack. And I think Zoe Deschanel had a little input as well on the music. So that's uh, just a little bit about that. Other songs on the soundtrack are by the band Eels. So that's the predominance of the soundtrack. But then you also hear stuff like Journey and there's They Might Be Giant songs. So it's kind of all over the place. But I thought it was a well-organized soundtrack. Um, yeah, any, I will say opinion? I like the soundtrack. I think they yeah. do a, the, the, the music director did a great job. Okay, so after the band performs, Carl and Allison talk. And eventually she invites him to her jogging photography class the next morning because she has a class where people take photographs while jogging, which my husband, the photographer, just kind of shook his head at, but didn't take too seriously. <laughs> yeah, I like I actually did like the ridiculousness of that. Like I was okay. just like, that's so over the top ridiculous. I'm like, I can't wait to see this class. I hope we get to see it. I get I was I was excited about seeing how this would pan out. Yeah, and we do get to see how it pans out. But first, Carl gets invited to do, do an all night bar crawl with um Rooney and Rooney's friend Lee who is a male nurse which is apparently important once again they're like hey because male nursing is funny you can't be which they like talk about but they make him a cool character I think that yeah, kind they of do. Plays so against like, I, like I said I was just like okay yeah anyway they go out all night and they're drinking a bunch of Red Bull which I don't know if this was product placement or if they just like saw this the is 100% potential. product placement I also feel that they could have just seen the comedic potential, though, because Red Bull was like a huge cultural topic at the time. Like you said, David, a lot of stuff from like that time period. And Red Bull really dates this for me. Yeah, absolutely. I actually uh, I dated a Red Bull girl. Really? Like, the year this movie came out. And really? <laughs> so. And then when you broke up, you didn't have any feelings about it. It was fine. No, none at all. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> I but, just moved okay, on. What was it like? Can I ask for a second? What it was like dating a Red Bull? Like, did she talk about Red Bull a lot or did she drink it all herself? Was she always I mean, She was just out at parties giving out Red Bull. So I had like unlimited Red Bull to drink. So I was probably like Jim Carrey most of the time. <laughs> just jittery. You're like, my heart was going to explode out of my chest. Uh -huh. But it was baseline at that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so he shows up at like 6 a.m. at this jogging photography park, uh, class in Griffith Park, and he's like so hyped on Red Bull. He has like one of those rave necklaces or glow necklaces around his neck, and he's like, I drink a lot of Red Bull. Would you like to drink a Red Bull? Try Red Bull. Red Bull. And he's doing all this crazy verbal gymnastics with that, which I can't really replicate. Um, I thought that was funny. Yeah, I was, was good. Like, like, yeah. I, like, I thought it was very Jim Carrey, but like for me, I was like, I'm like, this is a good use of product placement. And I'm also excited <laughs> to see like when he's going to crash. Okay, so yeah, and then they're doing this jogging photography class, and he's kind of jogging along with them in his suit or whatever, and then he does crash. And like, Sybil, was that a good payoff moment for you? I did. I thought that was a pretty good payoff moment. I also liked like that he was into like everybody's in the background, like into the photography. If you actually watch the scene, because I rewound and watched this section again, I like what all the extras are doing, all the extra people are doing. Mm -hmm. Like they're all really selling this jogging with with these giant freaking cameras, <laughs> which for me is absolutely. Like so ridiculously funny. I was like, "This is so ridiculous." Um, yeah, and, and then and when then he we, finally just like crashes, I'm like, "Yes, yeah, that seems appropriate." And he like literally crashes. He's like face yeah. down on the ground, like <laughs> drooling. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Okay, I love that part. 
So Carl and Ellison then end up talking afterwards a little bit about their lives. And they then like, it's kind of understood that they're going to like get together, you know, in the future. And the next time we, I'm cutting out a few of the scenes that we see in the interim, but the next time we see them together really is this Harry Potter party that he in, RSVP yes to. And I love this Harry Potter party because I used to hang out with Harry Potter nerds in the 2000s. I think I kind of became one of them actually because I have gone to Wizard Rock concerts, okay, where they play Harry Potter themed rock music and I dressed up as Luna Lovegood, my interpretation of it. So I think I've earned my Harry Potter. I, I would status. say that that counts as you've earned yeah. it. Yes. But I started out being more Harry Potter nerd adjacent and going to my friends' parties and they would like, they, they did, they knew the whole movie like every word of it, right? They had this like thing they listened to called Wizard People Dear Reader, which was like a commentary, a humorous commentary on Harry Potter. It's a whole universe, right? And people right. have their costumes and people go to conventions. It's like a whole thing. And so I love that they captured the essence of these Harry Potter nerds with all these really great costumes. They've got somebody's wearing like a Dobby head. Like, yes. <laughs> there's this really sad looking Snape who's just absolutely perfection. I was going to say the Snape, the Snape who's sitting in the back who looks like, like, I don't know. I just put like a, a black robe and this and this like wig, and I guess that's as good as it gets. And he's like drinking a beer or something. <laughs> but he looks like kind of Snape. Like it's hilarious. They got like kind of a guy who looked kind of like Alan Rickman for this part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. So awesome. I first of all with this section, I literally stopped and was like, I mean, this is so ridiculous. Like you know, somebody didn't write this in a script that this just happened. But somebody's like, let's. It's supposed to be a party. That he's going to a party. Let's make it. A Harry Potter party. It's going to be so over the top. And well, that's sh- and that shit was huge in the two thousands. Like I said, exactly. I hung out with these people, and yeah. I bet I I bet that as they did it, they had so much fun. Like they got oh, super yeah. into it. Yeah, they set up a Quidditch thing in there. Like Quidditch. There's also a Quidditch scene in the internship, which I think it came out a few years later. But like, yeah, you know the yeah. internship with Vince Vaughn and um, Owen Wilson. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then and then little touch I just noticed this time, little nerd touch. They're playing a They Might Be Giant song in the background. Oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> it's like so the nerds made this movie. They know. They they did. And I so this scene is just really funny to me and I really and I like watching all the costumes in the background. I like the idea that this guy who like didn't even want to go out to like drink at a bar with his friends is now going to a <laughs> freaking Harry Potter party and is dressed up. Yes. But it's sad that he doesn't want to stay there to me. Like, I don't know. It's a little like, I feel like, like, what? It's the worst thing you can do. You're watching a couple Harry Potter movies. And then he leaves, like, when a, one of the better ones is about to come on. Because Norm goes, next stop, Azkaban. And then he and um, Allison <laughs> book out. And Azkaban really has one of the best directors. So I don't agree. know what you're doing. It, it, agree. It's also the best book in the series, in my opinion. If we're, uh, if we're in your order, order the Phoenix. Order the Phoenix. But yeah. <laughs> anyway. David, any anything else about this party you want to say, or like, did we cover it? Or I, I think you guys covered it. I'm actually an outsider here. I don't really know the Harry Potter series that well. Okay, um, I've only seen a couple of them, and I don't know. I just I missed that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was missing. You don't really read, so that, that makes sense. these books are kind of big. Yeah, I was exactly. deeply embedded in the culture, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, it got it right. It got it right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then we come to the Hollywood Bowl scene. And simply, you've seen she and him at the Hollywood Bowl, you said. I have, so. I have. Have you been um, to the Hollywood I, Bowl a lot? Um, so I've been to the Hollywood Bowl many, many times, except the parking. Like, getting there and getting back is, like, dramatic, so I, I hate going. Oh, it's but terrible. It's, it's, it makes you want to die. It literally takes a piece of your life and soul and, like, kills it. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> it really does. I've but only so, been there once, and that's how I feel. 
So did you like seeing it in this movie or was that traumatic for you, Sybil? No, I mean, I thought it was fine in this movie. I mean, there is a part of like suspending your disbelief. There's no way you could break into the bowl. Not even a little bit. I would have been happier if he'd like had like one of the loans he gave to somebody, like he paid a guy. Like as he walks in, he just kind of hands him like a buck or two or something. And that's that would have been good. That would have been good. Like in some kind of wonderful, they pay off the, or they know the janitor or something. Yeah. Exactly. Cause there's no way that you break into the bowl. Not ever. Yeah. So they have this scene where they break into the Hollywood bowl together. They sing can't find me love together on the stage. And then they have their first kiss. And what do you think about their chemistry in the movie? Either of you. I, I mean, they're fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's a comedy first and I, I don't think that they're too, worried about like giving it the full fledged uh you know relationship that it needs to have yeah i didn't really find much it it didn't like a like their chemistry didn't make me like go ah but i wasn't like oh my god they're gonna be together forever i was just like this (laughs) chemistry is weird but okay see i didn't feel it was weird i felt they actually worked together very well i think the actors seem to have gotten along very well and like when I see them do interviews together, they seem to get along pretty well. And like, so I felt like it translated to their, their kiss and their like, I didn't feel like it was like hugely romantic, like somewhere in time or some crap like that. Right. Yeah. But I, but I did feel like when they kissed, I was satisfied by it. I was like, oh, good. I'm glad they kissed. Okay. And there's this nice conversation they have then they're sitting in the Hollywood Bowl and Allison says she's not really concerned about like the success or the viability of her band or her photography. Like she knows they don't have a wide appeal. She says, the world's a playground. You know that when you're a kid, but somewhere along the way, everyone forgets it. And I, I like that sentiment. Um, it kind of takes the pressure off like doing what you love. Like you can do it just because you want to. Do you guys, what do you guys think about it though? I would have really liked this. So this is a section where I thought that like you're starting to really see uh, the real person that she's supposed to be. And I was like, oh, this is great. And it would have been nice at this point if like Carrie had had his, his character had like more of an epiphany about like, you know what? I'm not just a yes man. I'm a person who's making choices to do things because I do want to choose my life. This person's Hmm. my my relationship with her is altering who I am a little bit and how I'm seeing Hmm. the world because I I felt that that was, it was a very deep moment and it does make her a real person, not just like this quirky pixie chick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for me personally, I mean, that's kind of how I am. Like, I mean, I do so many different things, whether it's from, you know, my music and podcasts and all the other stuff that I'm involved with. And I'm just kind of like doing stuff, you know, and uh, (laughs) just enjoying the ride, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Carl um, ends up getting promoted at work uh, because he's given out what the corporate guys call micro loans, which I guess is essentially what he's done. He's given out loans to all these random people who came through and apparently they're being paid back. Then we get to a scene where Carl has agreed to help with um, his friend Peter's fiance Lucy's bridal shower and he's helping Lucy at the store and there's a disgruntled Korean worker there and this is when the Korean lesson part pays off because Carl starts speaking to her in Korean and my students freaking love this let me tell you like they would clip this all the time and show it in their presentations they like it just they would then they would all laugh and it would light up their faces so I I, and I love it I love hearing Korean in the movie because I miss Korea so I like I like this scene. I I like the fact that one he actually is taking like planning the shower seriously because this mm. is something where like you're starting to see him as a character like evolve. Like he's moving into this person that he's trying to be, and he's like he originally was like I didn't want to do this shower at all, but I'm a yes man, so I said yes. But then you can see he's actually taking it very seriously, 
Yeah. And I like the fact that I don't really understand why this Korean woman was so unhappy. This is literally her job. And I know oh. that it's supposed to it's supposed yeah, to be she it. helps people plan weddings and she's never, oh. you know, she's always a bridesmaid, never okay. a bride. And let me tell you, there's huge pressure, huge pressure to get married in Korea still for women compared to in the United States. Like I had a coworker who was 30 years old and she was so panicked about getting married that like she married someone she didn't even like because she felt so much pressure to get married. Seriously. Okay. Well, this so, is, and so this is a piece that I was like, I like, that was why, like, I wish I had more context. Cause I was like, I don't understand why she's so upset. She's not even that old yet. Yeah, yeah, no, like, it, it's it's still, like, Korea is definitely improving, and it has improved even since I lived there. Like, the feminist movement is definitely developing quickly in Korea, but, like, there's a lot of holdover. Like, it, like some parts of Korean culture, you feel like you're in the 50s or the 60s still. So, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I understood Sumi and her whole, her, her, her whole deal. And she's, and I also understood why she felt so cheered up when Carl spoke to her in Korean, because... Like, especially if you're an immigrant and like somebody reaches out to you and your language and when you're in a country like America where most people don't bother. Right. I think right. that makes a huge connection. So I like that moment, too. I, I, I did like that moment I've had. So I just recently had a moment like that. So I I learned ASL so I could because mm. I, I wound up having clients who are deaf. And so I learned a, a bunch of ASL and I was literally just standing at a Panda Express recently and some guy was trying to take my bag and I, I I I was like hey that's mine that's mine and I realized he didn't he didn't look at me at all and he, hmm. so therefore he didn't he probably didn't hear me because he was deaf so I touched him on the shoulder and then I said that's mine in sign I said that's mine um yours must be somewhere else and he looked at me and he's like are you deaf and I'm like no he's like how'd you learn ASL I'm like I learned it and he literally was like can I hug you and I was like go oh, for it that's awesome right because it's just like a big deal you know, and he's like, yeah. thank you. Even a little bit is better than all. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is one of the best things that Carl said yes to is learning another yeah. language. So, and you just never know how that's going to pay off in your life eventually. True that. And you speak a bunch of them. Yeah. I mean, I don't speak super well, Ready, a bunch of them, but I speak but adequately. Speak it. I speak about three adequately and two um, beginner. Yeah. Let's say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then they find out that somebody is attempting suicide right outside the store. Pretty unlikely, of course, but um, Carl feels compelled to go help because somebody said somebody needs to help him. And we get here a great cameo, not a cameo, but a supporting role with Louis Guzman. Do you guys love Louis Guzman? I love when he shows up. In I things. do. And if, if you don't know who that is, everyone, that he played the dad in Wednesday just recently on Netflix. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, he's, he's all over the place. Yeah. And I'm going to play a little clip now of Carl going to help uh, his character. Hey, buddy. Whoa. Who are you, man? Uh, don't, don't, don't try anything. I'm going to kill myself, so don't try to stop me. Uh, okay. Um, well, what do you mean, okay? No, I, I don't mean okay. <laughs> Just give me a second. Uh, I should say something to you here. Um, don't really know what it is. Man, you're terrible at this. Are you even a cop? Hold on a second. I'm thinking. Um, wait. I've got it. Where you going, man? My man, hello. Don't do it. I'm, I'm coming. Patience is a virtue. What the hell are you doing in there? Wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. You could cut a 
lies with all the lies that you've been living in. And if you never want to see me again, I would understand. I would understand. <laughs> um, oh, what is it? You can put the past away Wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend I could cut down to all the lies you've been living in yeah. And if you never want to see me again I would understand I would understand Anyway, it turns, as you can see, into a sing-along with the crowd and I personally also love this scene. I don't know. How do you guys feel about this scene? So I love Louis Guzman and it's great to see him show up in anything, but I actually did not like this scene. Okay. Um, tell, tell. I think it just kind of stops the movie in its tracks and it's kind of pointless. I don't know. It just seems really? so. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, I just it think does, it feels very ridiculous. out of place. That's how I felt. I was like, this is not, you could cut this out of the film and the oh. film could move along seamlessly. It does nothing. Aww. Yeah, that's that's how I felt about this one. I got to admit, and like, uh, and and it sucks because I do love Louis Guzman, and uh, it seems like everyone's trying to like really make a fun scene here. You know, Jim Carrey playing the guitar and singing and doing his whole Jim Carrey thing. But I don't know. I just didn't find it funny, and I didn't find it to have any point either. Well, and that's it's, fair enough. It's making fun of suicide. So yeah. Mm. Okay. So to I, that point, I don't think it was trying to be super fun. I think there are parts where it's trying to be funny. But I think it was trying to be more like another example, like he just had a human connection with Sumi because of the Korean. And now he's making a human connection with Louis Guzman with the music. So like, that's more how I read it. I didn't read this as like a supposed to be super funny scene. I read it as like his skills are causing him to make connections with people. And that's all. No, I mean, I, like for that, I think that this scene would work. But it's in that case, I would have done it in a very different way. You know? Okay. Like it just doesn't hit for me. And as I said, you could literally cut this out in the movie, and no one would be the wiser. Oh, I, I still love this scene. Like, and my my Korean students again. This is another one that like was a personal favorite of theirs that they would always play. I literally I can't even think of this song anymore. The song is um, "Jumper" by Third Eye Blind, which is actually about trying to prevent somebody from committing suicide. And um, it's from a 1997, their 1997 debut album. But I literally, when I hear this song now, it's in Jim Carrey's voice. Like that's how much this scene actually stuck with me. And I, and I get what you're saying. Like, definitely people are more sensitive to mental health issues these days. Like, personally, I, have, I haven't tried to commit suicide, but I have been suicidal and just too apathetic to try to commit suicide. So as somebody who has dealt with depression for decades and suicidality, it doesn't offend me. Like, I, I just I really saw the human connection portion of it is more like what it is. And even like when you're in a really depressed mindset, there can still be these moments of like absurdity. So I think like there are treating mental health issues totally with kid gloves doesn't really work for me either. Like a lot of times people will talk to you in this voice, like, are you okay? Is everything all right? You know, when you're really depressed and that's what not really people, people need. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Like depressed people, people who are in a suicidal state are also 
still just people who like sometimes humor will come into the situation or they would appreciate someone reaching out with a song, you know, instead yeah. of like what the cops who would have probably come would have done when they came. Right. Anyway. That makes sense. Anyway, I, I like, I, I understand what you're saying though, Sybil. Like I did just kind of played a little more trivially than maybe we would like the movie. Yeah. The movie is mean, definitely not. I'll, so there's, is it right? It's too front. Once I find that it wasn't per se necessary to the plot of the movie. And then two, I just don't like the way that it was done. Mm-hmm. And therefore I, it has me being uncomfortable and on, un, I'm like, I just wish that, you know, it had been a different thing. They, yeah. And you know, I yeah. met at a bar. He's he met him on a bus. Sure. Sure. You know, and I whatever. felt touched and I felt touched by the scene and I also really like music and movies. So it really wasn't mattering. It didn't matter to me if it like moved the plot forward so much. I was like, Oh, I love a music scene. This is great. Mm-hmm. Like, and I felt touched. So. Okay, um, then Carl and Allison, um, the next scene we, big scene we see, Carl and Allison get to go to the airport and they're going to go on a random vacation. They're just going to go up to the airliner and they're going to just like ask to go someplace random and they end up the first plane out and they end up going to Lincoln, Nebraska. Have either of you either ever tried this, like just gone to a random destination? Nope. I mean, not not quite that quickly. I mean, I, I'm a, I love travel and so I've literally picked, gotten like an email from like Travelocity or something saying, hey, you know, $400 round trip to London you know, next weekend. And I'll be like, yeah, let's go do that. I mean, that's close. I will give you that's close. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. close. Yeah. I, cause it- I did that. I did that once and I went to London for three days and that's it. Cause the ticket was $400 round trip. And have you ever gone to a destination that's like, not like some marquee destination, like London that like people would be like, well, why would you go there? Like, have you ever done that? No, okay. but I think it's just because it's, it's not probably you don't get like alerts and flights and stuff okay to sure, tell sure. like hey wouldn't you love to go to nebraska <laughs> i mean yeah now that this is like now like now that i'm thinking about this again though part of me does want to try this like sometime this year like maybe not a plane but like a bus or a train right and just like mm-hmm. go like wherever like random place it shows up and like see what happens <laughs> it does sound fun it's kind of it kind of takes time though and money so but i'm i might be worth doing once did, did you guys like the concept of this like random trip or like, are you just like, I would never do that. I, I love the concept. Like fun. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like fun. What about going to Lincoln, Nebraska in particular? Would that be something? I, I would have gone to Lincoln, Nebraska. I mean, I think that anywhere is interesting. Like if you've never been there, there's always something interesting in every place you could go. Yeah, absolutely. Worst case scenario, probably get a good meal. Um, and in this movie, they end up going to the Telephone Pioneer Museum. Sadly, it was closed in 2018. So this is a nice historical record of that museum's existence now. Um, they go skeet shooting, which Allison is also bad at. And she tries to kill people because she's a female who's incompetent. Yeah, I didn't love that. I didn't love that. Yeah. Um, and they go to a University of Nebraska football game and they get like all dressed up in like football game gear, which, Wow. Which I love that because that means for me, I was like, these are people who are taking this and actually like wholeheartedly investing themselves. Essentially they're becoming like the Harry Potter family, you know, the (laughs) Harry Potter, you know, crew in Lincoln, Nebraska, getting, getting down with the homies there and like going to a game a hundred, 110%. Yeah. Have either of you done that? Gone to like one of these big games and worn the costumes and all that type of thing? No, God, no. No, I've never done anything (laughs) like that. And have either of you been on a tour of a chicken slaughterhouse? Uh, no, God, no. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd like to sit that one out, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another thing they do on their little tour. And Carl faints. And then like they're randomly walking down a country road. And Lee's like, why would they be walking down this country road? And I'm like, 
I guess they said yes to a ride and then they didn't have any ride back or something. I don't know. Like it is a little random, but they end up in this like barn in the, like when it's raining and they end up saying, I love you to each other. And then Allison asks Carl to move in together, which he hesitates for a moment, but then he says, yes. And this will become important a little later, but we're going to, we're going to leave that until after the spoiler section. So before we get into the spoiler section, we're going to talk a little bit about the concept of saying yes in our own lives. But first, I want to give our listeners the code phrase for our Yes Man book giveaway. So if you want to enter the drawing for the book, and it is a really good book, like trust me, like it, I laughed out loud several times and I almost I teared up a little at the end. Then if you want to enter this drawing, please email us at feedback at everyromcom.com and include the code Munchausen by proxy. Like if you don't know how to spell Munchausen by proxy, no big deal. Um, But just like send us in your best guess there. And remember, whether or not you want to enter the drawing, you can also email us with any comments you'd like us to potentially read out in a future episode. Let us know if there's something you said yes to in life that was maybe scary, but turned out well. Or you can email us about a self-help book or program that really helped you. Or you can email us about the many points Sybil has brought up about this movie, because I know she would love to hear from you. And once again, our code phrase for the giveaway is Munchausen by proxy. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about saying yes. So I want to ask both of you, first of all, do you think you tend to say yes more often or no more often? I think it depends on what it is. Like, meaning like, is it personal things or is it like business things? Because I say yes to almost everything when it comes to like my projects and, you know, music and podcasting and things like that. But personal things, it's like more mixed, would you say? Or like personal things, it's more mixed because okay. partially because I'm always so busy. <laughs> I'm very much a yes person, um, unless I 100% know that I'm not going to like that. So I, I've done two different times, two different years, in a whole, entire years where I had, I said yes to things I didn't want to do per se mm. to try to remind myself if, like, I really don't want to do this or is this something that, like, I just think I don't want to do. Did you get that idea from a specific book or program or no. did you just come up with that on your own? So I'm going to tell the first time I did it was the year that Trump was, uh, he was voted in mm-hmm. and I did a year of what I called, I, I said, keeping yourself like open to things because mm-hmm. I felt that at that time we were so, as a people, we had forgotten how to compromise and mm-hmm. we weren't, we were so like ingrained in what we thought was right. And we never, we couldn't see the other side. And I felt that that was so true that I was like, you know what, to keep your gray matter functioning, you really need to continue to do new things, experience new stuff and listen to other people. And so I, I did, I did a challenge for the entire year where if somebody asked me to do something or they, you know, they talked to me, I would try, I would literally work on seeing their side to, to the best of my ability. And if they asked me to do something that I didn't want to do, I'd probably still say yes. And I, how did it- I hate oh, outside. I hate camping. I hate everything about outdoors. I was an outdoorsy person that year. It was terrible. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> it was wretched. It was absolutely wretched. But I there were, there were things that I still say, like I went to a poppy field and it was beautiful and wonderful. So I, I, mm. I so if somebody had asked me, like, let's go look at the poppy flowers. I'd be like, hell no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> It's like outside in the sun with bugs now. So were there but any I other? Ex- I loved it. Yeah. Were there any other experiences from that year that like you remember particularly or encounters or anything? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it really softened me to un- being more empathetic about what like other people's causes and their belief structures 
um, I'm very black and white and I don't live in a gray area very often. And I so started mm. seeing kind of like the places that we meet and that I also learned for myself that I don't have, I don't need you to agree with me and I don't need to agree with you, but I a hundred percent need you to understand what I, my opinion, and I need to understand your opinion and we need to be able to respect each other's opinion. And it's okay that we don't agree, but we absolutely see each other's side because the, the ability to see somebody else's life, idea, whatever, helps you constantly be moving towards more knowledge. That is like a very deep interpretation of a yes here, I think. Like, yeah, you're <laughs> you're saying yes to like under like like hearing people's minds and, and their viewpoints as well. So that's interesting. So did you did you have like any ground rules for your yes here? Like in general, like did you have like I must say yes to this type of thing, or was it more of like a feeling, like you did it by feel? I, I generally would say yes to everything. And this is where I like the idea of like opportunity, right? So if mm-hmm. I if if my gut would just be like, nope, you don't want to do that. I'd be like, why don't you want to do that? So mm-hmm. it was a lot of it was internally looking at your your myself, right? And figuring yeah. out why don't I want to do that? Is it because like I actually just viscerally don't? Or is it because like there's a reason? And can I get around that reason? Okay. Okay. Right. And um, I think the only yeah. ground rules was my first instinct when I, as soon, like anytime I immediately said no in my head, I literally had to stop and be like, what if I said yes? Yeah. Hmm. But you were not doing things like, um, like, like every email you got, it asked you something. No, there was definitely thinking. no penis enlargements happening. <laughs> and I wasn't giving money to like, you know, causes I don't per se believe in. But I, like, I, I donated more that year than any other year I've ever donated. Yeah. So like, okay. 25% of my income went out to, donations because like, I'd be like, you know what? Somebody asked me to donate as long as I like, am not against this cause, I will give you money and maybe it's 25 bucks, but I'm going to do it. So David, have you ever tried anything similar or done a yes experiment of any kind? No, I, I, I definitely have not. Um, I joked with you when you asked me to be on this about how like, I'm like a yes man of podcast guesting. Um, (laughs) I've I've been on like 24 podcasts this year alone, not counting my own. And, uh, I already have like four scheduled for 2023. Uh, so like I, I say yes to a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't have any kind of like, I've never like done it as an experiment where like, I have to say yes to everything. I just, I just tend to say yes to a lot of things. And, I, I work on a lot of projects and I, I, you know, just do all kinds of stuff. I, I make myself really busy though. So it's like, I can't even imagine like having a hard and, you know, hard set rule where it's like, okay, for this amount of time, I, I have to say yes to everything because some things are going to get in the way of other things. And I just don't even, yeah. I can't even imagine how that's going to work out. Oh yeah. No, that's totally like, I could totally see that becoming a problem very quickly. And Danny Wallace in his book, like it definitely becomes a problem for him very quickly. And some of the ways he has to like manipulate his schedule are like, Whoa. Yeah. And like I said, I have not done like a yes year or anything like that, except for I tried to do a yes day. I say tried for this podcast. Cause I tried to follow the rules like that Danny Wallace has, or that Carl has where like you have to do stuff from the internet too. And like almost nobody in person asked me things. Okay. Like this was actually kind of sad to me, like, except for working at the library where like people were like, can I have a guest pass for the computer? Like that's an obvious yes. Right. That's part of my job. Right. But I was really sad because like Lee barely asked me any questions that would require a yes or no, my husband. And then like 
people in my life did not really ask me to do things. And I was like, this is kind of sad. And I think in some ways it's because when I get depressed, I do like when I'm like not depressed, I tend to say yes to things. But when I get depressed, I tend to say no to things. And I think over the years that has taught some of my friends to like not ask me things. You know what I mean? Mm. It's kind of sad. It's kind of sad that way. So I don't really get invited to things. I've always, I've often had to be the person to make a party too. I think I attract a lot of introverts in my life. So I'm a lot of times I'm the one who's having to set up a party and it, yeah, I kind of would like that to change. So I'm kind of contemplating like what I can do to cause that. I don't think a yes day is going to cut it. I will say that, you know, one of the things I did is I, I was out there, like I was on social media. I had a hashtag for it. Mm. Um, like I told everybody that this is what I was doing. Oh. And so I definitely had, I think because I was more open and receptive to it, Yeah, people would ask me to do things I'm like, okay, so well, you're supposed to say yes to everything. So, you know, let's go see the, like, let's go, let's go, go see like them feeding the, the seals at the aquarium. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, um, let's go to this like nightclub on the queen Mary. And I like, I like, oh my God, I so don't want to do that. But yes, of course. Yeah, no, I think yes is a little more complicated too now that COVID is a reality in our lives. Like too, I was like, thinking that too. Yeah. yeah. Cause there's a lot of things I want to say yes to that now I'm like a little bit reluctant to do because of COVID. So that kind of sucks. Um, I did on my yes day though, I did end up going, like I'd planned to go anyway to the solstice bonfire in my neighborhood, but like it was really cold that day. And I think maybe the yes day is what put me over the hump to actually go instead of being like, well, it's so cold and Lee doesn't really want to go. And like, maybe I'll just stay home. You know what I mean? So I do think it put me over that hump, which is good. And wait, I have a question. Did you enjoy it? Did you have a good time? I mean, I did. It wasn't like a life-changing good time or anything though, right? And, like, it doesn't ever, have to be a life-changing yeah. good time. It's just like, I was glad that I went. Like I had a good time. Yeah. I wasn't unhappy that I went. I'm happier that I went than if I had, hadn't have gone. And I would be like, oh, like, I wonder what that would have been like. You know what I mean? So yeah. Right. Yeah. Because there is a point where like, listen, at a certain age, you you make the decision. You're like, I don't do things I don't want to do anymore. Like I don't placate people. I don't go to stuff because like I'm supposed to. But it is good to remind yourself that mm-hmm. maybe the things that you think you don't like, you're just, you're keeping yourself away from things and possibilities and opportunities that could be yeah. awesome. And since this is a self-help series, I wanted to bring up a couple, a couple other yes books in addition to Danny Wallace's books. So there is a yes day children's book that was written by Amy Krauss and Tom Lichtenfeld from 2009. And that was later turned into a movie, uh, yes day in 2021, which I, I don't love that movie, but I, it's more of a kid's movie. Then there's Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes from 2015. I've read most of that in preparation for this podcast. And it's a very more of a philosophical yes. Like she was going to be open to people's invitations, not so much like a stunt, you know, but more of like a deep kind of like, I'm going to be open to invitations. I'm going to expand things. I'm going to do things that scare me. Have you read that one, Sybil? I have not. But I mean, essentially, that's pretty much what I did. My uh, yeah. Year of Yes. Yeah, I think you would vibe with that Shonda Rhimes book. Yeah. I like Shonda um, Rhimes too. I'd probably read it. Yeah. And then I read another book, which isn't specifically about saying yes, but it's called I Dare Me by Luann Kahn from 2014. And in this book, she basically just said she had to do a new thing every single day of the year. And that's a really interesting read, too. Oh, that kind is of interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. She did some really wild and interesting stuff uh, starting off the year with a polar bear swim. So, Yeah. I recommend all those books. Well, I haven't read yesterday, but I recommend the latter two books, the Shonda Rhimes and Lou Anne Kahn book, um, if you're interested in more affirmative reading. So do you think there's anything that you are not saying yes to at the moment that maybe you would like to say yes to or that you should, you think you should? Oh, that's really hard. Because if you think it, if you're, if you think you should say yes, then you probably have already said yes. 
Maybe, maybe not. Like, are there things like you think that maybe you're not saying yes to because they kind of scare you or something like that? Um, I think for me, I'll say that I'm not saying yes to travel right now because I have worries about finances and I hate flying on planes. They scare me. And also like um, trying to choose one is overwhelming for me, but I really would like to travel in 2023, like more and shake this up. So that's what Mm. I'm going to say. I should say yes to more travel. That's a good answer because I kind of feel the same way. Like there's so many barriers to traveling and and I want to do more of it. Uh, I just got back from Japan. I was in the Maldives. I went to Costa Rica. I was in, um, where where else was I this year? I was in Colorado. I uh, had a event in Kansas. I mean, I've been on planes this year. I was, my October, I was not even, I was barely even home because I've traveled so much. I mean, okay, so what are you, but what are you resisting? If anything, so what are you resisting? Uh, what I think one of the, I mean, I have this conversation all the time in my podcast about things that stop me are perfectionism. So like, mm-hmm. I don't want to launch this thing cause it's not good enough yet. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, I could just tweak this a little bit more. Yeah. And so for me, a lot of it comes down to perfectionism and it's almost always about my career and the things that I'm doing. Like I have an eyebrow guide right now that's I've been working on for a year that it's ready to go. I just have not launched it yet. So you got to let go a little, maybe letting go of perfectionism is your, your yes. Yeah, yes no, that is a huge one. I talk about it all the time on my podcast, Confessional. It's like, it's the idea of perfectionism and probably also imposter syndrome, I think are, are mm-hmm. kind of go hand in hand for people. Well, I'm glad we had this talk. I'm glad to find out this out. So yeah. All right. And any, any more about yes, or should we move on to the spoiler section? Oh, I'm so ready for that spoiler section. <laughs> of course you are. Okay. I love the spoiler section. I think that we should spoil all the time. And that's my philosophy. Okay. Nice. She says yes to spoiling movies. All right. Yes. So mm-hmm. we're good, now going to begin the spoiler section. If you have not seen Yes Man, go ahead and check that movie out. Or if you just don't care about being spoiled, you can still stay with us. But either way, spoiler section begins now. And Sybil, tell us about this scene where uh, Carl and Allison get back from their trip and they are at the airport again. Okay. I'm going to actually go back a little bit to where we were where, where he gives a hesitation. So, you know, in, in Lincoln, she's like, she just was like, oh my God, we should move in together. As like you would do when you're super excited about something new. And he has to say yes, but his, he, he hesitates because he, he knows that this is not a good idea. And this is a point where because he hesitated, apparently that was an implied no to the universe, by the way. Mm. So it's implied no to the universe, which is why everything else at that point in his from this point on in his life goes like horribly wrong would you say that's correct jen like this is how this movie is supposed to be i never thought of it that way but i like that okay so they get back they get back to the airport and when they're when they're there essentially they get pulled over by who's the governing agents it's not probably homeland security i I know tsa homeland security homeland security Okay. Well, whatever, whatever. Okay. Yeah. So they get pulled over by Homeland Security and their <laughs> Homeland Security is curious why this guy would want to be going to Nebraska, you know, last minute paying, I don't know, maybe cash. I don't even know. And, you know, he's got some, he's got some red flags as well because he's been like giving money to all these potentially sketchy organizations. He's on Persian Wife Finder, so that connects him right. in their minds to Iran. Then he, he's had flying lessons. Um, he's given a loan to a fertilizer business, and he's taken Korean lessons. This is going off the whole George W. Bush axis of evil shit that was so big in the <laughs> 2000s. Uh, and so they, they're looking at him from a perspective of like, hey, this guy could be like a potential terrorist. And he's just like, 
I, I'm just living my life. So, you know, he, he has to call Bradley Cooper, who apparently is a lawyer, which I don't think I understood until that point, and is like, um, I'm having trouble. I'm in like essentially Homeland Security prison, which is just an airport. You know, you're just there <laughs> in the airport for life. And it winds up coming out in front of, you know, his, you know, new friend here that he has to say yes to everything. And that might be what has colored their relationship. Yeah. She, Allison gets like so angry at Carl here and she, she just like dumps his ass. And I, for me, I don't understand it. For me personally. I don't understand it either. I think that she's a little over the top with this. I, I understand why she would be mad about him saying yes to moving in together when they don't really want, you know, when he might yeah. not really want to. But yeah. like for everything else, like I don't well, think that okay, she maybe, deserves to be this angry. Maybe the Persian wife finder. That's a little weird. Yeah, true, Fer- true. Farinoush, Farinoush, who, who I love Farinoush as a character, actually. I love her, but I didn't talk about her much in this episode, but she's sweet. I don't know why she hangs around with Carl, though. She could probably, she'd probably do better, so. I, I think because he's paying for her. Is she, is he? I don't understand I, how this Persian, sure wife, Persian wife, I thought it was just like they studied, they set you up with a date or something, and like, then why is Farinoush still hanging around? I don't know. Anyway. I'm pretty sure Farinoush has been paid for like a Persian bride to come Seriously? out. Seriously? That's what I thought it was. Okay, David, you get to you get to weigh in on that. Who's fair? Yeah, I'm, I'm an expert at this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I have absolutely no idea. I I was just like, this is just it, it's just weird. Like that's all it is. Like I I don't think it makes sense either way. So. Okay, I'm, I'm glad Jen and I live in different worlds. I'm like, no, it's like when you buy the Russian brides, right? So I she's no like idea. a Russian wife. I just wife. thought it was like a matchmaker site and Farinoush lived in the States and wanted to find a husband or something. I don't know. And I was like, okay. yeah, anyway, anyway. I like okay. that much better, by the way. I okay. like that much better. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's nicer. I mean, she was also she was already pretty fluent in English and seemed comfortable in the States. So like she gave me the impression of someone who just happened. Anyway, we don't have to go into Farinoush. Okay, anymore. go ahead. Well, <laughs> okay. The mystery of Farinoush will continue. <laughs> Oh man, we'll have to join PersianWifeFinder.com to find out. So, which I don't know if that's a real website. Regardless, she, um, Zoe Deschanel's characters get gets very, very yeah. angry. Like, yeah. like she's like, "We're breaking up," essentially, yep. right? And her, I think her biggest reason is because their their relationship isn't real because he's just had to say yes to things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't really buy it. But then we get this whole period where like he's she's not with him and he's still living his life. Uh, Carl keeps trying to contact Allison. He goes to her concert. Um, she tells him to he can go jump off a bridge. So this leads to our bungee jump sequence, which, you know, I think it was awesome. Knowing that, Car- that it was actually Jim Carrey and it was his first bungee, j- bungee jump makes me like the scene. Otherwise, I was like, no big deal. Do you guys like that scene? Or I actually love this scene. This is the okay. one of like, hey, he had to go jump off a bridge, but good. He found a way to do it without dying. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's fun. All right, so you guys, not the music scene, but you like the bungee jump. Okay, I got you. I got your vibe. (laughs) Okay, so then we have another scene that ties up kind of Norm's story where um, he's holding a 300 party, but Carl has to go, like from the movie 300, and Carl has to go fire him at the party, which he's crying in his like 300 costume. Yeah, so this, there's, I'm just going to go, there is a tiny montage sequence essentially of where like, essentially... Carl is trying to continue living the yes man life while trying to get his girl back. But none of it, he doesn't, he's not like in it as much. Like he doesn't feel it as deeply and you can tell it's, and it's a a well done montage of sequence stuff. 
But to be fair, he doesn't go back to where he was at the beginning of the movie either, which is good. No. Like they still show yeah, him yeah. out there in the world. So I like that. Right. Totally. Yeah. But I love this 300 party. Also fantastic. I love that they're Spartans. <laughs> and I also like that Norm takes this firing incredibly well. Instead of just getting like flying off the handle and being like, you're the worst friend ever. He's just like, I guess you had to do this and I get it. Yeah. Norm is wonderful. I love him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now we come to um, Carl has agreed to hold Lucy's bridal shower. And I love how like everyone from the movie is there. I mean, if it were my bridal shower, I might not like that everyone from the movie is there. (laughs) But like pretty much every cast person you've seen in this whole movie shows up there at the bridal shower. And Carl sets up Norm and Sumi, which I like. I ship that. And then Rooney hooks up with Tilly, the, the neighbor, the old neighbor, which again is played for a joke. But yeah. After the party, like Stephanie was at the party. He invited Stephanie to the bridal shower. Stephanie calls Carl back, Carl up on the phone crying. And he goes over to her house. And Stephanie tra- starts, starts to seduce him, starts kissing him. Carl starts going with it. But then he says no. So this is <gasps> Carl's first. He says, yeah. He says no. The dirty word no. This is his first definitive no. He just like, he's been changed by his experience with being with Allison. And... But Carl becomes convinced that he's been cursed if he disobeys the covenant. Well, he, he leaves the building and he gets stuck in the elevator or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Like a, yeah. a bunch of seriously events happen that make him seem like he's cursed. Yeah, but still, like, it's a, I don't know. It's a little, I don't think I would think I was cursed. Would you think you were cursed? I mean, if all those bad things happen to me, yeah. Okay, I, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, maybe. Okay, okay. All right, all right. So you found it believable. Okay. So he sort of stalks, his solution to this is he sort of stalks Terrence um, to his car. He's sitting in the back of Terrence's convertible. I love this bit, by the way, too. Terrence is listening to his own audiobook, and it's playing yeah. this ridiculous part. Chapter 26, words which rhyme with yes, guess, mess, guess, that's a name. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but also, um, I was very disturbed by the fact that Carl like had to go stalk him in in his car why couldn't he just meet him at the event i know why why do you have to be so creepy like this once again carl i'm stressed out by you so we could have this car accident scene apparently and then they would both end up in the hospital together so he could be wearing a hospital gown for the final scene of the movie obviously Sybil, don't you see obviously this is the reason 100 percent true priorities we need to see carl driving to ducati in a hospital gown there you go (laughs) and at the hospital um terrence tells carl there was never a covenant I was just riffing. Like sometimes you have to say no to stuff. And Carl listens to him, but he didn't listen to Peter. Peter's like, I just said the same thing. You have to say no sometimes. You didn't yeah, have a so, British accent, Peter. And then the male nurse is there and he's a male nurse. And that's but he's also, awesome. The male but nurse, he's, Lee but he's is a male awesome. nurse. That's the only point of his job is he's a male nurse. That's yeah, but Lee, Lee is awesome. I like his character. And he lends Carl the Ducati that Carl gave him the loan to get. So we've got um, so the scene on this Ducati. Do you guys even, did you guys know anything about what a Ducati was before you saw this movie? Because literally I did not know what it was. I knew it was a motorcycle. I've heard the word before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know like what a Ducati was. Apparently it's like, it's the, like, tes- it's like the Teslas of, or the Maserati of like motorcycles right yeah they're like super fancy apparently like they're a big deal and they have more power than a lot of other motorcycles the model for this movie is called the ducati hyper motard 1100 s um if you buy one today it sells for around fifteen thousand dollars and i think fifteen thousand is like the low end for ducatis so maybe it costs more in 2008 i don't know so like Carl like borrows this Ducati. He escapes. He realizes he has to go talk to Allison. He borrows the Ducati from Lee. So he's racing down the road in, with the Ducati in the hospital gown. His butt's hanging out the back. 
I, I don't know. Like this scene doesn't do much for me, but it it is energetic and it uses separate ways. The journey song from the opening of the movie, it pays off the promise of that action packed song. Anything- I feel like this was the end of a lot of uh, comedies of, of the two thousands. It seems like almost every uh, Judd Apatow movie ended this way with mm. someone like racing off to, you know, to get the girl or whatever. 40 year old virgin. He's on the bicycle, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So for this scene too, uh, Carrie did some of the driving, but for the really complicated trick scenes, it was either a stunt driver or they made a special rig for some of the close-ups. So he didn't do any of the super fancy Ducati driving in this movie, which I mean, I'm sure you guys realize that. Carl arrives at the jogging slash photography class and he's doing this like donut like thing that's making smoke go up. And so he gets to walk through this like cloud of smoke, take off the helmet and like show up to see Allison. And like, I think one of the guys says, what an asshole. Yes, he does. Because he, he makes all the smoke. Um, also, this is the observatory, which is a huge section in Los Angeles. And t- the day that they shot, you have amazing views, mm. which is not usually true. It's often just covered mm. by smog. But you have amazing views this day at the observatory, which is like pristine. Yeah, the Griffith Observatory. Yeah, which we've seen in so yeah, yeah. many movies, like things like Rebel Without a Cause and stuff like that. It's an iconic yeah, yeah. location. Yeah. So I actually really this is a piece that I that I think paid off that like all the smoke is made and the and like he walks through it as if it's like coming out of fog or something. Yeah. And makes him like look yeah. a badass. And then because somebody says, What an asshole, I'm like, yes, I'm here for this. <laughs> because that is so incredibly true. I don't think he's that is what asshole. somebody would say. Yeah, that is true. That's what somebody would say. So I laughed really hard. He got like one of the biggest laughs from me. I'm like, yeah, what an asshole. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to play a little bit of the speech he makes now to Allison after he's walked through the fog. I know the philosophy has some holes. Oh, you think? Hmm, seems pretty airtight to me. But if I hadn't done that, I never would have met you. Because the old Carl didn't think he was enough for anybody. I thought if I said yes to things and got involved with people, sooner or later they'd find out I'm not enough. I didn't think I had anything to share. But now I know that what I have to share is pretty huge. And I want to share it with you. Do you mind, Reggie? Seriously, dude. Sorry. This seemed interesting. And even if I had met you, I never would have asked you out. You were the complete opposite of me. You did things and had friends and sang in rock bands and made life happen. You weren't scared of anything. You don't think I'm scared of anything? Who do you think I am? I'm scared of a lot of things. And I'm scared too. So let's be scared together. I don't know what you want me to say. So just say yes. But only if you really want to. And can you do it kind of soon? I think I'm starting to get a chill. Yeah, I noticed that. Well? Maybe. Come on. I'm not going to say that word. Okay, maybe it's fine. Maybe it's good. And here they kiss. So yeah, this is our happy ending for the characters. Although Sybil thinks that um, Allison could do better, apparently. I think she could do better for sure. But at that point in the film, I actually was like, this speech is the stuff that I wanted to see during the film. Because he's gotten to this point. But we actually haven't seen him like like have this epiphany and growth, really. And I would have loved to see that in more of an arc. Unless mm. it's just like a dump at the end. But it's a 2008 film, so like whatever. 
it's the ending it has to have for this kind of comedy. You know, it's it's not particularly that deep or anything like that. And it doesn't, you know, you know, like you were just saying, like the there's not that much of an arc for the character, but like it's it's where it has to go. Yeah. I, I do. I do like how the speech gets at like the reason that he was saying no or that he wasn't saying yes, that he was afraid, you know, essentially that like he would be shown to be inadequate or that he would be, you know, maybe embarrassed or something. Cause I think that's so true of so many people, right? Like they'll like avoid, you know, getting close to people or they'll avoid trying something that might make them look stupid. Like it's kind of getting at the reason behind a lot of people's nose. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I would have yeah. been maybe. I, I thought it was a good speech. So how did oh. you feel about their kiss? I mean, I felt it was like a medium kiss. Like I felt like it lingered long enough and it was believable and plausible. It wasn't like it wasn't like a moonstruck kiss where I'm like, ooh, passionate. But it wasn't like a lame kiss that you see in a lot of contemporary romantic comedies where they barely let anyone peck each other, which is starting to piss me off. <laughs> okay. Like, I want you back, which I love otherwise. They don't let people kiss long enough. It's it's starting to annoy me. Yeah, I thought like at that point, I was like, this is not a bad kiss. I was okay for this kiss. I'm like, they, and I, you remember when you asked before, I was like, I'm like, I didn't feel their first kiss. So they had like chemistry. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, well, no, you know what? Maybe I can see it now. Maybe a little bit at this point okay. at the end. Okay. So cool. I was there for it. Any kiss opinions, David? This is the kind of hard hitting journalism we do on this show. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, this no, I, 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 I can't say I have much of an opinion on the, the, the final kiss. It's, it's there. It does the job. <laughs> Okay. All right. I think that is actually an adequate assessment of that kiss, though. So, yeah, uh, yeah the credit sequence um, is got stuff in it, too. So, first of all, we have another Jim Carrey movie with its so- song named after the title of the movie, the song Yes Man, which is also from that band Von Eva in this movie, Munchausen by Proxy. Like the song, dislike the song, don't care? Nah, it was fine. I don't think I noticed it. I don't think I even realized it. Yes, man, let's go for a ride. There's so many things that we can try. I can sing it. Sorry. Okay. Anyway, also in the end sequence, you're also probably distracted from the song by this like roller suit that they're trying out. Like earlier, they had this guy who supposedly invented it trying to get a loan for it. And now we get to see the payoff of that as well. So like everything fucking pays off in this movie. Actual roller suit in this movie was invented by a French man named Jean-Yves Blondeau. It's a 32 wheel roller suit that you put on your whole body so that you can like actually be prone on the ground and rolling. And he invented this in the mid nineties. He calls the sport with these roller suits, buggy rolling. And he's often referred to as the roller man. So I, I needed to look into this. You guys understand why, right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I understand. Absolutely. Of course. And like these roller suits, you can get up to speeds. Blondo has gotten up to speeds of 78 miles per hour in these roller suits. And so in the movie, the people actually using the roller suits on the road, like face down, are are Blondo and a stunt double for Deschanel. So it's not Jim Carrey and Deschanel doing this. They just like rollerbladed into a pad so you could see them start the, the, the sport. It's apparently really hard to do. Like the stunt person had to train for it. Also, this is not the only movie to feature buggy rolling the sport. Blondo trained Jackie Chan to use the suit for the 2012 movie Chinese Zodiac, which I have not seen, but now I kind of want to watch. I've not seen this either, but now I'm fascinated because I, I do love Jackie Chan films. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's so awesome that he got to teach Jackie Chan something. I mean, think about that. Like who, who gets to say that they taught Jackie Chan a new skill? Yeah, for sure. And so these days, Blondo is apparently very popular on TikTok. And he has a website called BuggyRolling.com where you can actually order these suits and parts for the suits. And the suits cost around 6,000 euros to start. And like, so David, you already answered this. You wouldn't want to use this suit. <laughs> oh, hell no. 
Hell no. <laughs> so I gotta be I gotta be honest with you. Uh hell no. That I would also rather bungee jump than do that because it yeah. would be over faster and have less chance of death. If I were in my twenties and I could be on a road without cars and without a cliff to plunge off of, I would hundred percent do it. Otherwise, no. So I would have I mean, to. I mean, what are you even seeing while you're doing it? You're just seeing the pavement as you're rolling by? Like... It would just be like the physical sensation sounds fan. I love roller skating. So, like, the idea that I could roller skate with my entire body. And I, when I was yeah. a little kid, I always wanted to be in the luge, like in the Olympics. And, like, just yeah. that quickness just seems so exciting. Yeah. No, you guys don't see the appeal at all. Okay. Okay. No, God, no. <laughs> All right, so let's we're wrapping up the movie now. And um, would you guys have any final thoughts about the movie? Like any favorite scenes that you didn't talk about, or favorite moments, or or things that we didn't talk about that you really hated? I feel like we talked about pretty much everything here. I I think that you know, there's some funny Jim Carrey moments, like you know, you brought up the Red Bull scene, you know, things that are like just classic Jim Carrey. Um, and, and a lot of that was really good. And, you know, some of the yes montages are, are really fun and we've talked about some of those as well. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's really anything we didn't quite get into though. We, we kind of got to all of them. Any other puzzle pieces you'd like to mention, David, like, or inspiring future movies or anything like that? Yeah, I will say like this movie has come up as a puzzle piece. Uh, I, I think if I didn't miss any three times on piecing it together, uh, the movie's Britney runs a marathon. Oh, I've seen um, that. Yeah, yeah. The you know just the kind of like saying yes to uh, trying to better your life in in ways and everything else that comes with it. Uh, also, the way back um, with Ben Affleck uh, as a recovering alcoholic, and then just last year the Oscar winner Coda. Um, it came up as a puzzle piece there uh, as, you know, just trying something new and, you know, trying exciting things that'll open up your life in, in different ways. So uh, it, it definitely like that kind of uh, self-help kind of thing. It's it's out there in movies a lot of the times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I haven't seen the latter two films yet, so I will have to check them out. Yeah. Okay, so one more thing I want to talk about before we end the episode is just comparing the movie Yes Man to the book Yes Man. And I'm going to try to do it kind of quick. Um, first of all, I want to say I recommend this book. It is very moving. It is funny. I like laughed out loud like several places in this book. Um, Danny Wallace himself, the author, he's not like a guy who just had a regular boring life and then decided to do a yes here and had to deal with all regular boring life stuff. He was like a BBC producer who was able to work from home a lot. So it's kind of easy for him to do this stunt where he said yes to everything. And he kind of, I think he kind of conceptualized it too, thinking it would be a book in the future. Cause before Yes Man, he had already written a couple books, including Join Me, a book about accidentally starting a cult, um, which in involved performing random acts of kindness. He's an interesting dude. And he's a good writer. He has a really great writing style. I totally want to read more of his books now. Yeah, but basically there's some things that are in common, like the basic rules are pretty much the same. You have to say yes to absolutely everything, including ridiculous things like the internet requests and so forth. Um, Wallace even took it a little bit of a step further. He started like putting out ads for people to call him and talk about stuff. Like he started sort of trying to bring more yeses into his life, which was kind of interesting at times. But so a lot of so he's like fishing. He was like fishing for yeses. Yeah, sometimes he started fishing for yeses, and a lot of the best stuff in his book involves just people that he just met randomly, like groups that were meeting up to talk about like metaphysical or like out there UFO stuff. Right? He became involved with these people and got to know them. 
activists for peace. He got to know them. Like all these different human connections he made were very fascinating. Um, he also had a group of friends, just like in the movie Yes Man, that would always invite him out for drinks, you know, in London at the pub or whatever, right? So he had that friend group at, like bringing him out of his shell. So that's a similarity. But the the way they become, the way they get into saying yes is totally different. Because in the in the American movie, it's this self help seminar, it's this product, right? It's this commercialization of yes. But in the book, he just happened to sit next to this older guy on the bus. And he was talking to this guy and the guy said to him, you should say yes more. He just said, you should say yes more. And for some reason it stuck with him. And then he decided that's what I'll do. I'll just say yes to everything. So this like totally random encounter led to this. That's really interesting. I mean, especially because he probably lived a very like interesting life based on like what he did for a living. Um, So he, I, I wonder if like people invited him to do things and whatever. He'd be like, I'm busy. I'm not, I can't do it or whatever. And then he was like, dude, maybe I should open that up more. Yeah, it sounds like he was in kind of a rut. Like they, he also went through a breakup like Carl did in the movie. Um, I think like he he was a little fresher from his breakup, I think. So it wasn't like three years ago or something. So there's that element in common. And just like he just wanted to kind of expand his horizons, I guess. And yeah. And both the book and the movie saying yes leads to a lot of good things. Like Danny Wallace also gets more job opportunities as a result and starts getting more into television where he had been more in radio. And they both end up having like a romance develop through saying yes more. So like a that's, lot of things. That's are interesting. Common. Yeah, that but, is. that's interesting. But if you read this book, it's it's totally not going to be spoiled by seeing the movie because most of the stuff is not the same. OK, like the, the the book is much more like everyday events, like compounding on each other. Some some really hilarious bits like the trip to the Netherlands is a huge highlight he gets involved in some nightlife in Amsterdam, which leads to some kind of hilarious results. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a hilarity ensues. Yeah. So I, my favorite is when a book has been made into a movie, but like they do diverge enough that is it that like, if you can read the book, you have a different experience than when you, you know, Mm. watch the movie. Yeah. And this sounds like it's one of those where you could like, you can literally, you feel it that they're connected, but they're not the same thing. So they're both different journeys. Yeah. Yeah. And it's simple. I think you might actually respond to the book a little more too. Like, honestly, like the British humor in it is very good. And I think it would well, have very... it to my library queue. So it's, cool. it's in there for reading. Yeah. I think it would actually make a very interesting British TV series or movie too. But like, I mean, I think the ships kind of sailed on that already. So <laughs> anyway, you, know, you never know. I mean, it's in a world where we can remake everything, you know, true, okay. true. And it gets pretty deep at the end too. Like, he just sort of starts thinking about what impact saying yes has had on his life. And he thinks about like what it actually means when we say no to people or when we say no to opportunities. And he kind of starts meditating on like, like regret for things that you said no to is often a lot worse than regret for things you said yes to. He says, we can all learn from our mistakes and heal and move on, but it's harder to learn or heal or move on from something that hasn't happened. Something we don't know and is therefore indefinable something which could very easily have been the best thing in our lives. If only we'd taken the plunge, if only we'd held our breath and stood up and done it, if only we'd said yes. So yeah, some wisdom from Danny Wallace there. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that that is, if you are like thinking about like, you know, moving into the land of yes. And, you know, we talk about all the time with older people as well. Like older people don't talk about the things that they did that they regret. They talk about the things that they didn't do that they regret. And so that's where we are. Like if you're living, if you're living in a land of like, I'm afraid to do this or I, 
or like this just seems to be like that's not going to make me happy. I think, you know, hey, re- re- readjust, kind of look at it from a different perspective. As somebody who did a year of kind of yesing, like I said, that's <laughs> kind of what I discovered is that you will find information out about yourself. Nice. Well, I hope I hope some of our listeners will will think about taking on this opportunity of saying yes more or even doing a yes day, yes week or Me yes too. year. Yeah. Me too. I, I would love to hear. Everyone, let us know if this is something you've done, if you're going to do it. It's fascinating to me. So now we're going to do our double feature recommendations and let's, um, let's do them one person at a time. We'll do all of theirs. How about that this week? Okay. That's fine. Do you want to start Jen? Yeah. So I'll, I'll go ahead and start. And I did kind of weird double features this week. Um, I'm going to start out with my normal one. So my normal double feature recommendation is I'm going to recommend watching 500 days of summer from 2009. And that's another movie where you can see Zoe Deschanel at the height of her kind of fame, I would say. This is like right before she started New Girl. But these, this movie and Yes Man are like two of her biggest movies, like right in a row. And I remembered not liking this movie when I first saw it. I think maybe I expected her to be more like her character in Yes Man. But then when I went back and watched it for the podcast, there's like really a lot going on in that film, like some interesting experimentation in the storytelling I liked um, her chemistry with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, even though the movie tells you right up front, this is not a love story. Um, And I I thought it's a nice, but it's nice to see another take on relationships. And even if this one, you know, doesn't end positively for everyone, I I think it's just a really nice meditation on how we get together, how we break up and shows her acting very well. So yeah, either of you guys a fan of that or... I only ever I've saw it when it. it first came out. I, I haven't seen it since then. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it more in retrospect. I think it, it aged well. I think it like is deeper than I gave it credit for at the time. Mm. I, my next two recommendations are both TV recommendations. My first one is season one, episode three of Community, the TV show Community. Um, it features John Michael Higgins, who plays Nick, the guy who throws the rock at the bank. And in this episode, he's playing this like um, Mr. Keating-like character from Dead Poets Society who runs a class at the community college where he wants all the students to seize the day. And that's their homework. And so the reason I've chosen this as a double feature is John Michael Higgins is playing a very similar character in this episode. It's more of that manic, bright energy. And I just think they like work really well together. In fact, this movie might have even been a puzzle piece for that TV show. Actually, I'm not sure yeah. which order they came out in, but they, they remind me of each other very much. Uh, I you love guys... John Michael Higgins. Yeah. Like, have you seen him in other things too? Or like. Oh yeah. Well, he's in uh, some of the Christopher Guest movies. Oh, okay. He's, he's so funny. Yeah. I never noticed him in those. Maybe because there's so many other big personalities in those movies. Yeah. <laughs> and then my final double feature recommendation is going to be season one, episode seven of the TV show flight of the Concords. And that's featuring Reese Darby who plays Norm in this movie. And I mean, he's in the whole TV show flight of the Concords. But in this episode, um, season one, episode seven, he sings the song Leggy Blonde. So he gets his own song feature and you get to see a little more of him. And I just love I love his like persona. I love, you know, he's just so he's I really care about his character whenever I see him in a film or a TV show. So, yeah, more of him. I agree more of him. I think he's fantastic. He's very underrated here. Um, so my double features are going to be role models from 2008 and Mostly it's because like I, I, when I was watching Yes Man, I thought to myself, what would this movie be like? Cause they're both done in 2008, right? What would this movie have been like if it had a different actor in this spot? Like if it wasn't all Jim Carrey and it was, it was interesting for me to think about what that would be like. 
And so role mm-hmm. models is something that came out at the same time. And it has, you know, kind of the same kind of like themes, but with kids instead. So changing your life. Um, and then I bring it on, obviously, because, you know, uh, same director. And it's one of my favorite films, period. Yeah. And then yeah. I have Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind from 2004. And the primary reason that is I think it's one of the best films that Jim Carrey has ever done. Oh, yeah. That a lot yeah. of people haven't seen. Wait, what do you, who's, who hasn't seen? Like, hasn't everyone seen that movie? I, you know, I talk about it and nobody, people are like, oh, I didn't watch that. What? Yeah. That's crazy. I'm telling you, you think everybody's seen it, but people haven't. Yeah, it's one of the best movies of all time. Um, but, but I love Role Models and Bring It On also. So great picks. Well, uh, my double feature recommendations. First of all, I, I brought it up earlier, but Liar Liar, uh, 1997, uh, you know, that is another Jim Carrey classic where he's a lawyer in this case uh, and he can't tell a lie anymore because of some magical situation. I, I was actually going to try to rewatch it for this and I didn't get a chance to, but um, I haven't seen it since back then, but I remember loving it so much and it, you know, kind of deals with similar themes here uh, to what's going on in Yes Man. Uh, another one I was going to bring up, 2019, The Beach Bum, the Harmony Corinne stoner comedy with Matthew McConaughey, which a lot of people do not like. Maybe they either don't get what he's going for with the movie or just thought it was too stupid. I don't know. But to me, it is just a, a very ridiculous celebration of enjoying life to its fullest um (laughs) every single microsecond of life no matter what comes your way and matthew mcconaughey's character uh moondog who is this stoner poet who hasn't done anything worthwhile but is just living off of his past uh achievements um is just enjoying every second of his life no matter what happens including death and all kinds of stuff. It is absolutely ridiculous. The supporting cast is great. Zach Efron is a guy who's like worse than Moondog. And then uh, Snoop Dogg is in it and Jimmy Buffett, Isla Fisher. Um, and Martin Lawrence is the best character in the movie. Uh, Captain Wack, one of my favorite characters of the last few years. Uh, the other one I wanted to bring up is uh, actually an episode of the Ben Stiller show nice. where Ben Stiller plays uh, Tony Bobbins, uh, a kind of parody <laughs> of Tony Robbins. And it's called the Let's Go Clinic is the name of the sketch. It's like an infomercial for a program that teaches people how to get over breakups and is probably the best self-help guru parody I've ever seen. Um, I just wrote down like one line from it where uh, he's talking about like the various steps of the program. And then step four is I hypnotize you with my teeth and you send me money. Um, It's just (laughs) Ben Stiller is so funny. It is just so great. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just perfect. Wow. I, I really want to see that now. I want to see that. And I haven't seen the beach bum either. So I will try to check those out. My goodness. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Rex. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you both for um, being on the show today and, um, coming up for every rom-com self-help series. We will be covering movies, including eat, pray, love, man up, think like a man and more. So stay tuned for that. And if you want to enter the giveaway for the book, Yes Man by Danny Wallace, be sure to email us feedback at everyromcom.com with the code phrase Munchausen by proxy. And also be sure to check out David's new album, More Content. David, once again, where can we find all of your podcasts, your music, everything? 
Absolutely. Thanks again so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, people can find my music at bydavidrosen.com. They can specifically go straight to the new album, more content on my Bandcamp at davidrosen.bandcamp.com. That's where you can get the limited edition CD. And of course, it will be on streaming in all of those places, Spotify, everything else. So check it out there. And you can check out Piecing It Together wherever you're listening to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Yeah. And I definitely recommend listen to his podcast. And also he's got a really cool Facebook group as well. So yeah, lots of stuff to dig into there. All right. So yeah, yeah. thanks for listening, everybody. And goodbye. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, David. Thanks, Jen. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.